Thanks to our At The Net podcast girl for that fabulous introduction. And welcome fans of The Great Game. You are listening to Season 1, Episode 6 of At The Net podcast with AJ Chabria, a.k.a. AJC. Are you there, AJC? You bet, Craig. How are you tonight? Yes, and CB1, that's me, Craig Bell, who are talking the great game of tennis as it seems to us. Thanks also go out to our good amigos at Tex-Mex Productions. That would be Dave the Brain. DeLeo, who is twisting and tweaking the dials from back of the house and making it sound like real people. We're live, right, Dave? Not yeah, Memorex, right? Yeah, you guys are live right now. <laughs> also, be sure to check out our good work on SoundCloud, Fireside, Spotify, iTunes, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, all the important communication sites that you kids find popular. And if you're a female, sorry, guys, and would like to read the opening intro for At The Net Podcast and be an At The Net girl, let us know, as we're always looking for new female voices to do the intro, even in a foreign language, I might add. Ooh, yes. la, la, yes. Mr. D. So, well, we, all right. We've had a couple of nice ones in the uh, Slavic languages and French, too. Huh? Yes, Afrikaans. We're going Czech Republic. We're going to go. We're going worldwide. Really underscores how international this game is, tennis. It, it's definitely a worldwide sport that uh, a lot of people find fascinating, as we all do here at, at the net, as it yeah. seems to us this evening, right? Sounds good, Craig. I could get my wife to speak in, in Urdu. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. That'd be good, yeah. <laughs> Had never heard of that. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of near it's, uh, Pakistan. It's kind of Hindi. Pakistan, and then you flip, and then you jump down to uh, Hyderabad. Yeah, south. Okay, yeah. southern India. Yeah. Oh, have to, have to do, a, do some research on that to see where uh, where where all the uh, geographic uh, areas lie within the what? Ud, say that again. Urdu. 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 Sara is a beautiful girl, and uh, her voice is amazing too. I would imagine. Yeah. So. Well, AJ, tell us who our guest is this evening and, and uh, uh, introduce him for us, would you? Well, great. Yeah, warm, warm welcome to Mark Provisero. He's a uh, he is a, a former college player. Grew up playing juniors in Marietta, Georgia, just outside Atlanta, and uh, played uh, college tennis at Oglethorpe University and for the Richmond Spiders um, up in Virginia, and just has had quite a career ever since then. Um, as uh, not necessarily a tennis coach, but he got into uh, being what, Mark? You want to describe your journey over here to Los Angeles? The journey of what I'm doing now or the journey of which, which journey? I, let's, let's go with what you're doing now. And if you want to pepper us with a little yeah. bit of in-between, that'd be good too. I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a manager of writers and actors and directors and produce as well TV shows and films. And I have a company and been doing it now. I was an agent for 10 years and been doing this for 10 years as a manager and a producer. So it's about 20 years in on this one. Excellent. Yeah. Late 90s. Late 90s. Yeah. Late 90s. Yeah. Well done. Straight from yeah, University of Richmond straight yeah. to uh, Hollywood. It's, uh, there's, there's no clear path there, I assure you. 
Just go straight across the country, right? And there you are. <laughs> That's right. He had a he had a minor stop in the Northern California area. Not a single person in uh, in the University of Richmond is aware of this industry. The president, of the, <laughs> the, the president of the university, was out here at the Jonathan Club for a Richmond event a couple of months ago, and I I went. I've never gone. I've never stayed actually close to them in that regard because the school is not interested in, in my field. And I, I remember attending the event and speaking to the president of the university, Dr. Richard Crutcher, really smart guy. I'm he's sure he's in a world-class cellist. Ooh. And he, and I told him about what I did and he just looked like he could have given. Dave usually beeps us with a fart noise. Okay. So be ready. So, yeah. You're, you're okay. <laughs> and that was PG, uh, PG 13. We, we can go a little blue here. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's a podcast. Okay. Right. That sounds like an interesting, uh, way to get to Hollywood. You know, everybody's got a story and, and I'm sure you have some dirt on, on Adrian. You're going to tell us here in a little while too, right? Please, please. <laughs> I'll, have to, I'll have to get a signal from him when I can share and not share. Happy to <laughs> open book here. Yeah. Oh, open book. Well, okay. All righty. Tennis has been, uh, a, a, a very fruitful part of, of my career in the entertainment business. I, the, I would say that tennis is the reason I got promoted to be an agent and actually started my career. I was an assistant at an agency, and I was old to be an assistant. I was 30 years old when most assistants were 23 to 26 years old. Hmm. No one older than that, really, on a, on a um, upward trajectory. And I had been in sales, and I, and I took a, a two-year vow of poverty to quit my sales job where I was making good money to give this a, a swing. And it was about a month into it. I realized the top guy at the agency was just getting into tennis. He would walk through the office with tennis rackets. And and I could tell very soon just by the rackets that he had and the way he talked about it that he sucked at tennis. <laughs> and I went up to him, and assistants weren't really allowed to talk to agents. And I did went up to him and say, hey, I see you play tennis, and he blew me off. And I, and I, I somehow let him know I, I was decent enough at tennis and he, he, I, I got him out on the court and, you know, within two months he had moved me over to his desk and his desk was the desk that you wanted to be on if you wanted to get promoted. And the other, the other main guy had also taken up tennis. So for the next year and a half, I would, uh, I mean, he was a terrible boss. He would like throw, this is not to date myself, but he would throw video cassettes at me when he was done with video cassettes. <laughs> wow. Not even me. CDs. <laughs> I, I prefer the video video cassettes. They were slower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no eight tracks even. As a CD. And uh, but it was terrible. But the only time he'd ever be nice to me would be the morning after because we would play in the morning, like once every three weeks. The morning after we'd play tennis, I would I made a point to play uh, uh, um, a modified version of business tennis, uh-huh. yes. where look customer well, tennis, I, good customer tennis one hundred and one never hurts. Yeah, where I wouldn't goose them, but I also would keep them in points. I'd give them two or three games a set. Mm-hmm. But also, just personally, for my own vindication, I'd keep them the point going and keep them moving back and forth, back and forth, back and <laughs> forth, just to watch my boss, who was going to yell at me in two hours, sweat and struggle. <laughs> Suffer. <laughs> and then I'd put it away just beyond reach against him. Yeah. And for that morning, it would last for about an hour and a half. He'd come into the office because I'd get there first. And that, that morning... 
uh, would be the one time where he'd say, hey, I'm going to the kitchen. Can I get you something to drink? Oh, <laughs> a little humility and, and gratitude. And by like 11.30 a.m., that had worn off. It wears off. Yeah, he, then it was back to throwing video cassettes at me. <laughs> <laughs> when there's Seinfeld reference, that you're a cruel man, Jerry. You're, you're a cruel man, Mark. You're, you, you are, are very cruel. <laughs> you're a bad man. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> we we go all over the place, Mark. So that's that's a funny story. It's, it's amazing that you were able to leverage tennis, the great game of tennis, into a position where where you are today. It it, it worked out. The, that agency was it was called Broder Colonel Webb Buffner, a, a really uh, a, a, one of the classiest literary agencies in the business that's now become ICM, but they were, their office was in Beverly Hills, 70 feet away from the Beverly Hills tennis club on mm-hmm. Maple. And so they all joined. And so we could go over there and, and uh, play here and there. And so it, it wound up, tennis wound up being a real asset uh, in, in addition for those other reasons, just because we could just go over there and play and enjoy it so much. Yeah. It sounds like it did. Uh, uh, did you are are you still working at that uh, place of employment, or is it? Are you have you moved on from there? I've moved on. Okay, and and these other people have they moved on too? Are they still around? I'm no, I know you're not saying their names, so don't say their names if they're still around. So we don't want to <laughs> implicate they, you on anything. Well, those two guys are uh, two of the more influential uh, agents, uh, you know, for what they do in the world. I guess you could say in the so world. Still, yeah. still to this day. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. They they rose that they they took off, they took off. Yeah. Are they are they any better at tennis now? Um, after one, having one, it with you, one quit uh-huh. eventually. I think he got frustrated. Um, and the other one, I think you you magically hit one <laughs> lefty slice uh, a little too well. Huh? And one is uh, just plays uh, uh, recreationally. Uh-huh. And you still see them around socially sometimes. Ever. Sometimes, yeah, yeah, okay, sure. Or business-wise, just social business. Oh, okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. they, they don't ask you to play tennis though anymore. They don't invite you out. And... No, no, <laughs> long gone. <laughs> You're Been on to new Mark. game. <laughs> no. Well, what what are you what are you working on these days? Just out of curiosity, what are you what are you working on this these days? Do you have anything that you can tell us what you're doing? Well, I, yeah, I have a couple of things. Um, I mean, my. You know, our clients have several shows and, and uh, movies that are that are going at different points, and and we produce a couple of them. Um, but uh, for you guys, uh, uh, a client is is on a show called Better Call Saul. That's on AMC. It's a one hour show. Sure, I've heard that. And um, he's Saul. Our client, our client is Saul, Saul Goodman, right? Saul Goodman. The attorney, famous attorney, Albuquerque, yeah. next. And then we have uh, we produce a couple shows. One's on Netflix. It's called Paradise PD. It's an animated show. Speaking of, uh, PD. Speaking have of you show. heard that one? Yeah, I've Dave? heard of that show. The brain's heard of it. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, and then we have a, a Hulu comedy called uh, Pen Fifteen, which of course on paper spells penis. P E N one five Pen Fifteen. Ah, yes, boy. They've just been nominated for an Emmy, and that's on Hulu. Excellent. And then I have a movie. Nothing, nothing within – and a movie too? And a movie – well, look, depending on, how, depending on how well the box office is this weekend, I have a movie going into production in a couple months. It's an action movie called uh, Nobody for Universal. Mm-hmm. Based on the life of any – can you give us a little – 
you know, preview of uh, sure. Is it, sure. It's a, it's sort of uh, Bob Odenkirk, you know, who plays uh, Saul and uh, Better Call Saul. It's 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 an it's going to be a uh, roll of the dice to turn him into the next Liam Neeson. To it's going to we're putting him in an action film where he's got to save his family. Okay, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty cool. A little and, more character work, little little slight little you know humor, but it's an action film. And he comes from comedy and also drama too. And that's is, right. is this an early foray into the action world? Bob? This is this is the foray. The foray. Yeah, this is it. He's been training for two years with the top action guys. Yeah, the movies, he, he's movies. in training right now. Guy six pack. He's in training right now. The, the 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 people who produced this film that's out this weekend called uh, Hobbs and Shaw, famous film with the Rock. Serious, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the, those producers are our producing partners, and they've been working with him for a year and a half to get him in shape to uh, throw punches and get punched. And is that why you're saying depends on how this weekend goes? That's, right. that's what we're rooting for. Is we're rooting for that. Yeah. The more the better that film does, the more runway we have. So do you prefer one one project to uh, like movies versus television? Let's say is there or are they both the same? Do you like both both equally as well, or is it fun, more fun to do movies? Is it more fun to do, you know, TV? Is there anything? Uh, or mm-hmm. is it- yeah, I, I, they're different. Um, I, you know, uh, look. I mean, first of all, I have, the only films I've done so far are for Netflix. So I've not done a theatrical film. This film that I'm talking about would be for theaters. Um, film is a lot of fun because, you know, when it when it's over, it's over. Um, and you get your moment in the sun and then you move on to the next thing. Uh-huh. TV is nice because you get to have, do it. You get to do it again. You get to have another season and continue telling more stories and going deeper into the world. So they, they are unique. And um, and they both of them are, are quite rewarding. Mm-hmm. So, so question. I'm just thinking right now. So, is, are are you a? Uh, so, the Academy Awards have typically movie based. Are you? And I know Steven Spielberg made a comment against the Netflix type movies, Hulu, and that kind of thing. They shouldn't be winning Academy Awards. Are you in that camp? I'm going to just throw that out there. I'm just kind of int- – I'm not a real Academy Award watcher, but I remember him saying he – because he's more in the theater versus you – because know, there's some pretty good stuff on Netflix, Hulu, mm-hmm. all the all those kind of uh, indie films. And That's I don't right. think – he didn't really th- think of that as an Academy Award level of uh, – uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Shouldn't be, it shouldn't be in the running for the Academy. It's more of a theater-based type it, deal. It is, that is a hot topic. There's- is it really? Okay. You have you have touched on something that is a hot topic. It's, it's people, it people have strong feelings about it. You know, when you're Steven Spielberg, you know, and you're at this point in your career, and you have, you know, you're playing seats thirty people, then you know you can probably take that position more easily than if you're if you're coming up the ranks and you're looking for daylight to see who's going to make your movie. Um, and if the answer is Netflix, you know, you're, you're probably going to say yes and, and thank you. So it's, it's, uh, it is a hot topic. I think everyone, you know, um, feels uh, sentimental toward the theatrical experience as a filmmaker. You get to have an opening night mm-hmm. and you get to have the experience of people actually driving to the movie theater and spending money 
and having it being a more resonating experience culturally. There's no question that is the Holy Grail, and that's, you know, the, 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 there's, there's no greater satisfaction than a successful uh, theater experience yeah. for a film. That said, we're, we're heading in a particular d- direction that's undeniable, and I believe that theaters will stick around because it's still something fun to do. The experience, right. But most films... There will be films that are for the theater. Horror seems to be something that people want to experience together. Uh, used to be comedy was the case, but now comedies don't perform at, at the movie th- at the box office. And then you know, uh, superhero movies and action movies like Fast and Furious. Mm-hmm. Those seem to be the ones that people want to enjoy together or go as a group. Uh, everything else, people would rather, understandably, uh, enjoy in the comfort of their, li- of their living room or on their iPhone. Yeah, quite a few people consume material like this on an iPad or iPhone, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so, so what you're saying, Netflix money is just as good as MGM money, right? Or Paramount <laughs> money. <laughs> it spends just as well, right? Our art, I, art is art. I mean, I guess, when, I'll t- my, I guess my entry point will be if I have a six-seater, then I'll, I'll, I'll take a... Uh, uh, a heightened view of an exalted view of uh, of how I feel about streaming, uh-huh. you know, having a film on on Netflix. But until then, I love Netflix. Good for you. They they, they yeah. their, their checks clear. Yeah, so easily they do. Yeah, they're doing fine. <laughs> they do good. Right. Well, and and I would think that just like in tennis, you've got to adjust to the game. I think you have to adjust to the game and mm-hmm. anything in life, and whether it's movies through the theater or or movies through. Uh, Netflix or, or whatever device that you're streaming through, the game changes all the time. Nothing. It's kind of like Jello. You know, if you're trying to squeeze or grab some Jello, you can't figure out where that is. You've got to be adaptable, I guess, in life. And 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 if Netflix is what people are consuming, and hey, you know, they they throw out some great stuff. Why not? You know, or HBO or uh, you know, something like that. AJ and I just were having this conversation yesterday. Yeah. Oh, were you? Oh, oh. we were playing over at the Los Angeles Tennis Club yesterday. The oldest club in Los Angeles, right? Gorgeous place. We we have to put it, you know, Mark is a member, and we just got the stadium court. We just walked on the stadium court. And I, I because I did not adapt to um, to the, the newer technology, because I continued to heat, hit um, uh, an Eastern forehand grip. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's tradition. I mean, if you've seen Mark play, uh, average height guy like a rod laver, left-handed and pretty much continental to eastern on both sides. Very conservative grips. He's a strong guy and a great mover, so that helps. But as he's saying, his strokes were a little more old school. Yeah, and I think uh, and so after hitting a ball a certain way for forty years and not adapting to the fact that with stronger, better technology, the rackets. Uh, uh, create more impact, more pace off the ball, and there's more spin, and therefore you have to adapt to a more semi-western grip and be able to hit the high balls. And more, and more and more balls are shoulder level. So I kept now. on hitting this McEnroe back forward, back forward with a lot of wrist, and I have, I have arthritis in my left wrist because I didn't adapt. I didn't switch when someone told me 15 years ago you should mm. explore the semi-western. And as a result, I, um, I've, I've, I've had to completely switched to my to my opposite hand so i'm relearning tennis as of about seven months ago with and, my right hand not everybody is a good enough athlete to make that switch as successfully as mark just did in the past seven months he is uh, uh 
pretty decent server with his offhand, the right hand, but the ground strokes, you can almost not tell that he's using the wrong hand. Particularly if you've had like three drinks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure AJ, AJ brought brought his uh, wood racket for you to use too. So that's uh, Ari's home. He he Ari's he uh, also crafts a lot of other rackets, the uh, Babinex or Yonalot. You know, I'm sure. Right. Did, did, did you uh, bring that out there for for Mark I, to try? I just went straight normal rackets, but we do have a rod laver in the mix. Uh, Mark sometimes plays in a, a wood racket tournament. And I wanted him to have a nice, freshly strung nice. one. Nice. Uh, and it kind of matches his bag and his broad labor hat and all that. So I think he'll have quite a look going next time he does a Woods and Lights. Yeah. Did you get uh, the, the rod labor shoes? Did you have the rod labor shoes to go with that? Oh, smart. Good call, yeah. Craig. <laughs> yeah, no. You got, hey, if you're going to go rod, you got to go all the way, man. You got to get the, the, way. the nice all, mesh. I want it all except for the rod labor skin. <laughs> <laughs> Putting the sunblock on. Yeah, Aussie, uh, ginger, Aussie. <laughs> ginger. Yeah. Aussie, God bless him. It's a tough combo, right? Well, the brain and I feel, feel neglected. We didn't get the invite on the, uh, on the, on the plane. We didn't get, no. the, we didn't get on the six seater. You know, we didn't even make that. So <laughs> yeah, we feel neglected. We're back here at home, you know, just sitting here, you know, doing nothing. You know, we were, we were waiting for the call, but I guess that, uh, I miss yeah. California. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. You're from California. Yeah. Yeah. So Dave lived there for a number of years. Next time AG's out here, sounds like we'll have a doubles game. We'll have a nice match, yeah. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. You up for that, the brain? Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. Pretty sure you can bring me up to speed. <laughs> well, g- got another question for you, Mark, because I know you're on limited time. We don't want to take yeah. you know, a-, a lot of time. But I want to get right you know, to the-, the nature of your what you do right here. We were talking movie talk. How come there are not any good movies for tennis? I mean, wh- wh- where are the good movies for tennis? You know, AJ and I were talking about that. We thought this might be a really great you know, uh, topic for somebody who, like yourself, is in kind of in the business, knows what's going on. I mean, Caddyshack is really great. You know, you know uh, Tin Cup, uh, Happy Gilmore, Legend, Legends of Bagger Vance. I mean, those are four golf movies I'm just naming off the top of my head, all with major celebrities. We got nothing. I mean, we got a big bag of effing nothing, you know. There should be a Teledega Knights of Tennis. Uh, it should be. Yes, <laughs> right. Yeah, we need a Ricky Bobby, don't we? Yeah, we do. <laughs> well, they, they, so what's up with that, Mark? They did that um, on um, HBO. Did that spoof tennis with uh, Andy Samberg? Seventeen seconds, six, six seven days, minutes, seven seven minutes, seven days, six days, something like that. Six yeah. days to whatever. Yeah. So they they have done the the Talladega Nights version of that. They took a swing at it, um, and uh, and so there is that experience that. I don't. I don't think that uh, didn't turn into um, a Caddyshack. Mm-hmm. Uh, those guys I, I produced with them um, on another show. Um, so I've seen that swing. Seen. Um, look, I thought that. It, I thought that the uh, um, the Billie Jean King film uh, was a smart film to make. I thought that, that was a great story to tell. And then, boy, did they get a great cast with uh, Emma, Emma Stone, Stone and Steve Carell, right? But the film, but no one, uh, it just didn't. The story didn't work well. I, I don't know why um, it turned out that way. But that that film, I think, uh, missed. I think that film respectfully missed. You're asking a great question. I, uh, I had lunch with Ken Solomon. Uh, a couple of years ago, he's he's the um, I think he still the, uh, runs um, Tennis Channel. Correct. Yes, Ken Solomon. Yep. 
And uh, we talked about this, but on Tennis Channel, he, he can't. His this was as of two years ago. His um, his his metrics wouldn't support the budget that would be required to make a, a, a good scripted show. He just does a lot of documentary news stuff um, for what his uh, ad support system allows. But you're you're asking a great question. Why isn't that done? You know. Um, and I don't have a great answer. We, we, I think about it sometimes. And the question is, what's the story that would be interesting enough for tennis people, but, but necessarily beyond tennis people, to be into, to find uh, compelling enough to, to make a film out of? Like, that's the question. I thought the Billie Jean King story was timely. Much bigger than tennis. Much bigger than tennis yeah. and relevant. And what a great hero story that was. Um, but and maybe there's maybe there will be an opportunity to do that again in a way that, that and take another swing at that one. Um, but that is the question: like, what is the story? You know, that we should that that's that. Like, do you guys have a thought about that? Uh, we I found I I did a little research uh, a week or so ago, and I was looking at just even right now. Uh, you know, Borg and McEnroe from 2017, uh, Shia LaBeouf, you know, and yeah, it was okay. That was not. That's kind of a yeah. Twenty fourteen. That, that was like a Swedish independent film in a way. Yeah, too. correct. I'm yeah. I'm impressed that that they cast a, an American kid like Shia LaBeouf. And then you had uh, two thousand four Wimbledon, which was uh, as Chuck Barkley says, terrible. It was terrible. <laughs> it was terrible. terrible. <laughs> you know, with Kirsten Dunst and James uh, McAvoy. Yeah, that's right. That that, that went to uh, Blockbuster really quick. I think you know, and then where Blockbuster go? I think it got flushed down the toilet too. Yeah. So I think yeah, that one did, did, didn't didn't quite make the light of day. They have left it. Uh, that's where your old boss got the VHS tapes, or maybe that's where they <laughs> <laughs> down the toilet. Man, they went down. And then uh, you said Battle of the Sexes, twenty seventeen. And then the last one I kind of came up with that was halfway decent. Other than just documentaries out there was Players, nineteen seventy nine. Our buddy uh, uh, Dean Paul Martin that was in that with. Uh, uh, oh, Ali uh, McGraw, right? Ali McGraw, yes. I mean, that was you know, Dean Paul Martin, and that's pretty good. Ali McGraw from uh, uh, what was the movie? Uh, Ryan's. Uh, uh, so she know, was Love Story. Love Story. Love Story. With, there we go. With uh, John Ryan O'Neill. Father. And Ryan. Yeah. yeah. Ryan so that was. Former, that's about the only thing I could come up with. Um, you know, I'm, I, I'm told that there is a very good show. On it might be on Showtime or no, it's on Amazon called Red Oaks. That's the one. It's a country club in New Jersey. That's right. Yeah, okay. and I'm told it's actually very good. Okay, Red so Oaks. You, okay, you guys should sample that. We'll okay. sample it. I've I've seen the pilot. I believe the dad had a heart attack while hitting with his kid, and then I never really got into the second episode. But clearly, we need to. Yeah, because. It, it may be on the air right now. Uh-huh. The, the the one hour TV TV version of, of what we're of what we're talking about. Red Oaks. Okay, so we're gonna, I'm going to look that up tonight yep. when I go home. I'm mm-hmm. trying to see if I can. And I, and I as as disclaimer, I have nothing to do with the show. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> That's it, no royalties, no checks, no nothing no like royalties. that. Okay, but no ro- after this. Maybe. Maybe. Let's see. Maybe. I'll right. send him a phone call. Yeah, make a phone call, send him a link to this. That's great, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> now, well, uh, 
do we want do we have time for a little little more with you mark because i know we're, we're coming in on the the witching hour right now that uh a little bit you know yeah okay are, are you are, are you a, can i ask you a few questions just kind of fun questions that might kind of throw you into some different things that we like to we like to uh to uh, see what where our guests uh, wh- what they've done and kind of where they've been, do you mind if I ask you a couple of fun questions also too? I don't mind. Okay, uh, first band you saw in concert. I'm sorry. The first band you saw in concert. First Fleetwood band. Mac. Fleetwood Mac. Ah, the great Fleetwood Mac. Where'd you see them at? The Omni in Atlanta, Georgia. Ah, the Omni in Atlanta, Georgia. Wow, that that was cool. I bet. Uh, I thought so. I mean, I was 14 years old, and I just, uh, uh, yeah, that was cool. So, were you were you a uh, uh, Stevie Nicks fan or a Christine McVie fan more? I didn't even know who they were. I was hanging out oh. with guys who were like three or four years older, and mm-hmm. at, the, at the country club, at the tennis mm-hmm. club. Yeah, and they wanted to go. So, and uh, and somehow I made. I don't know how my parents didn't know that I went, and I went. I <laughs> <laughs> still don't know. Downtown. <laughs> Eighth grade. Eighth grade. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, favorite movie or TV show? Either one. Do you have favorite movie, favorite boy, TV show? Boy, 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 oh, it's boy, a boy, tough one. He's boy, in boy. the industry. I know. That's right. Yeah. Favorite one. One. Just favorite. Just uh, maybe a couple. I, I, I hate to be cliche, but I am an Italian from New Jersey, and I do feel this way. I'm going to say Godfather 2. Oh, the best. Oh, really? Oh. Okay. Make an offer you can't refuse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not very good. That's not very good. Right. <laughs> T- TV show? Do you have a TV show? In- any TV or do you just like movies more? I mean, I know what my top five are, but I. But you're asking me what my top one is. I mean, that's uh, – Throw a couple. You throw a couple out there. I'd say my top five are um, uh, All in the Family, mm-hmm. Sopranos, yeah. uh, Seinfeld. Um, so far, all based within ten miles of each other. Mm-hmm. The original Star Trek. All right, that's a little. That's further. not. That's okay. a little further. <laughs> and and uh, you know, the remake of Battlestar Galactica was absolutely mind mind blowing. That was recent. Yeah, yeah it was like eight years ago. Yeah, yeah, mind blowing. Ten or eleven. Well, I, so somehow it made made its way to me that. You and, and AJ used to watch the X Files also too. If you're looking at uh, Star Trek and Battlestar Galactica type stuff, uh, X Files. Are you an X Files fan too? Hexa Filet is, <laughs> is what we would watch on a Friday night after we, after we'd go get some uh, sushi. I don't know. Yeah, or <laughs> really anything in the neighborhood. But there was that one place that, that turned into karaoke later. Oh, two blocks down, right down the Silver road. Silver Moon or something? Yeah, Silver Moon. Silver Moon down on Lombard, the straight part of the crooked street <laughs> in the world. In straight part. We'd, we'd walk down there and uh, have some food and we would eat. We love the X Files so much. We'd even pronounce it in Spanish. Right. <laughs> even for single guys in their twenties, we would go eat, come back, watch Hexafile, yeah. and then go out. And then at ten p.m., maybe go out and have a beer or two. It was just part of our thing. And that was every Friday. That was your Friday night, right? That Pretty was much thing. a lot of Fridays. When it was on Friday, yeah. You guys and, and, didn't have many girlfriends at that time, did you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you had a window. Sometimes between 10 p.m. and uh, and, and and in a way, they all understood. They, understood. <laughs> <laughs> they were out doing the same thing, huh? They understood, or they didn't care. They were going out. <laughs> <It didn't matter. laughs> 
right. Uh, next question. All right. Four people you'd invite for your for your dinner at your dinner party. Who would you invite? Who's on the Mount Rushmore for Mark Provisero? I mean, other than AJ Chabria. <laughs> okay, besides AJ. Okay, besides AJ. Okay, there you go. Right he's, he's automatic. He's a, he's a, he's an automatic. We know him. <laughs> so Is this sort of an any anyone in the world kind of a thing? In, in, in history, you can yeah, go back to George better. Washington and whatever. You can go in, this is where yes. your era things come to come to play. I mean, I I, I would go with. Uh... Oh my God! Dead or alive? Doesn't wow. matter. Wow! 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 You can bring you know, Jim Morrison back you know, from the from the dead. Constantine, you know, the guy, oh, you know, oh yes, picked up the whole Byzantine, the whole, yes, uh, the whole the emperor, Catholic Free, thing, yeah, the whole Catholic thing. Like, I, I, I want to, I just want to, I mean, you hear the guy was nuts, and uh, I want to, I want to have dinner with that guy, you know, see what's really going on there. Complicated guest, complicated guest, yeah, yeah. but who knows, maybe he just needed someone to listen, you know, right. Um, <laughs> Uh, I would say, uh, you know, Gandhi. I'm going to do it. Ooh, incredible! Constantine yeah. and Gandhi, the man of peace and the man of uh, chaos at the same That's time. That's right. Okay. That's they right. they'd set each other straight, wouldn't they? <laughs> 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 yeah. right. I mean, one's a vegetarian, the other one's not. You know, they they would they would have a good time at the table. Boy, well, I, I, I I know Gandhi. He he is a very good man. Gandhi is very good. <laughs> uh, Mac, if. Uh, you know, if you were if you were in a good mood, you know, be interesting. Johnny he's in Mac. a bad mood. He's, he's going to be annoyed, but he's not going to really enjoy the dinner. But mm. Mac, if he's in a good mood, um, yeah, that, that's three. Okay, and then you had AJ, but just say that AJ wasn't available that night. Okay, so you've got so Constantine Gandhi and Johnny Mac. Who's who's the fourth at the table? There's only one more. Mm-hmm. One more. Oh boy! Oh boy! Oh boy! Oh boy! Uh, so we ask good questions here. We, we're just not yeah, a bunch of pretty faces but, around yeah, here. Uh, uh, um, uh, Anne, Princess Anne, the one who got her head chopped off. Anne yes. Boleyn. Yeah. Anne French. Yeah. I yes. have a pretty equal boy female. Yes. That's great. Yeah. I, yeah. I didn't see that one coming. Did you see that one coming? No. Brian? Yeah. Mr. D. No, I didn't see that. That's, that'd be an interesting group. Yes. What happened to get that'd your head cut off? Interesting dinner. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like to just, didn't you see like some red flags? Like you didn't have to say yes initially, right? She had she her family had status. She didn't yeah. have to. Yes, right. She did. Um, uh, so that uh, I mean, I've you know I've many you know I've been through a marriage. Like sure. you know you make choices, you, but uh, that was a bad choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a tough. Mm-hmm. There was no yes. second marriage. Yeah, it wasn't. It cost her her life basically. Yeah. Uh, all right, so some serious tennis questions, just real fast. All right, mm-hmm. uh, when did you start playing tennis? When did you start the great game? When I was five years old. Five, really? Well, you got to really, really start. Uh, how'd you get involved? Uh, I just, I think my mom. I think my mom brought us up to the local public courts, and then I, and then I really took to it when we lived in uh, Milan, Italy, when I was eight and nine, and we belonged to a club that was all like. I don't know who knows how many, but 12 red clay courts. Mm-hmm. And we would go every weekend to the club as a family. And my brother and I just started playing every weekend. 
So your parents were involved in tennis, I, I take it. Then mom got you started, but maybe hit you some balls, dad maybe working kind of thing, and then played on the weekend a little bit? Yeah, the, I mean, the, I've never seen them play really ever other than when we played a little bit, but it was more at a club. Jeff and I just went to go play tennis. That's how we would spend our time. And Jeff, by the way, is Mark's slightly older brother, about two and a half years? Two years, yeah. Two years, yeah. Okay. Does he still play tennis? Uh, he, he's played a little. He's actually he? decent. Yeah, last time I saw him. He's not a bad player. He's not quite Mark's level. He's more of a he's, – he's also a lefty and kind of long, smooth strokes, not mm-hmm. a big hitter. Mm-hmm. Mark's more of a big hitter and takes the ball early and all that. So different styles. He, he didn't play for the Spiders, huh? He he didn't. He didn't play in college at all. So first racket. For the record, for the record, you know, I for the, I played for the Spiders not not that long. I mean, I uh, I I played. I had a great year my freshman year at Oglethorpe. I, I remember my greatest victory was they let me play one doubles and we beat Emory, and that was a big Excellent. deal. Yeah. Um, and then when I moved to when I went to Richmond, I didn't even I didn't call the coach to tell him I was coming there. I didn't even bring my tennis rackets. The coach found out I was there. I, I transferred my sophomore year and he talked me into playing the walk-on tournament. And my dad had to mail my rackets up to me. Uh, and I, you know, won that tournament. And so I played on the team and then I joined a fraternity and, and the fraternity won is ultimately is what happened. Five by K. <laughs> that's that's, <how> it <laughs> that's goes. right. That's right. So I, I played, but I didn't play all the years up there. So you played for the Petrels for a year, is that correct? The and then Petrels you... and then the Spiders for a bit. Very nice. So okay. who was tougher, the Petrel or the Spider? Who'd win that battle, the Petrel or the Spider? Did the Petrel eat the Spider? I guess. I'm going to say the Petrel's going to as as an advantage on the Spider. <laughs> close, very close. Yeah, yeah. So so first racket, do you, and do you still own it? What, what's the first racket you you played with? What what do you do you recall? I I, know, I have. I do, and just not not to not uh, for the convenience of coming full circle, but it was a Max Fly Dunlop. A Dunlop Max Fly, yeah. The one that AJ the one that AJ very similar to the one AJ just handed me yesterday. <laughs> yeah. So now he's got two. Is that your racket of choice? If you, you know, would you uh, want to play? You know, what did you play with? Like, say, in college versus. Uh, did you play with – you didn't play with the Max In Ford. middle school, you know, when I was playing tournaments right before high school, I was, I was playing with the Wilson Advantage. Mm-hmm. And then Beautiful and then racket. it was the, uh, the Sampras, the pro staff, that I played with all through high school and college. Well, I forgot the first couple of years of high school, I forgot what those rackets were before the pro staff. And I played with the pro staff mm-hmm. through college. I know at Oglethorpe you had the pro staff. And then and even when we lived in San Francisco, you yeah. used that 85 pro staff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's good enough for Pete, right? The best. Right. Yeah, pretty good. And Edberg and Courier and Jimmy and Everett. So uh, what's your most embarrassing moment in tennis? Do you have an embarrassing moment? I have a couple. I do. I can think of – well, the one that comes to mind is uh, when I was uh, a junior, we were playing the, um, the Georgia State uh, Championships. We would all drive down to Macon, Georgia. Everyone from my club, Indian Hills Country Club, those of us, those those of us who played tournament tennis, and it was my first or second year, and I was the 
second round or so, and our head pro was uh, would go would travel with us, and he had played. He was the only only one of the only people I know who had ever won a golden set, and he played for Georgia Tech. Oh, really? Becoming the president of uh, USTA for um, Southern Georgia and for Georgia. the for the whole Southern region. Actually, mm-hmm. John Callen, amazing guy. Anyway, and he was a big card player, so we would all play cards and play tennis. And um, anyway, I. Uh, it was my second round. It was my first time playing that tournament, Georgia State Championships. Didn't, and I got ahead. I was up third set, five to forty-five, and I lost the match. Five two four. Really? Five, in the third in the third set, five in the two, third set, five. and I was serving. And uh, John watched the whole thing. John Callen, mm-hmm. and I came off the court, and he said. Uh, my last name is Provisero. And he said, well, I'll be. You probed it. <laughs> he, he, uh, he made a euphemism out of your name. And from then on out, tanking a match was probing it. I see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is Whoops. difficult. That was a tough one. That was yeah. a tough one, probing it. And, you know, as much as it was tough, and, and I see this smile, but also the pain on his face. <laughs> <laughs> my neck just tightened on the right side. <laughs> he's getting all tight but we've all been there and you know roger federer was in a similar position a few weeks ago eight seven forty fifteen yes yeah yes at least it wasn't five two it's close it was eight Mm -hmm. seven and when you serve like that guy and he had just served fabulously yeah he's just broken so yeah yeah Yeah. so 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 do do you like to watch tennis on tv a little bit, yeah. I yeah. do for the, for the fun ones, yeah. Okay. If you, if you could win a Grand Slam, which one would it be? Win a Grand Slam. Which it, of the four? It's, it's it's a great question, and, uh, you know, I could easily pick, any you know, certainly any of them because they're all amazing, but I, I am going to say Wimbledon. That There's just something special about that. The Cathedral of Tennis. The Cathedral. Uh, there's just something about that. I'd yeah. love to. Yeah. Yeah. That, who would you pay to watch? Former or current, who would you pay to watch? Is there anybody you'd pay to watch besides Adrian Chabria? Oh yeah, <laughs> you know I, you know, as a lefty, as a career lifetime lefty, I'd love to watch uh, the Rocket play. That would Rod be some, that would be something else to watch. That one hander, just rocket down the down the down the baseline. I mean, swing volleys with the one handed backhand before swing volleys That's with the forehand were a thing. That guy was doing it, painting it down the line. Yeah, that was. The, I don't know if you saw that little YouTube video that he and Federer did when they were at the Australian Open. It was about three or four years ago, and they, they they highlighted Rod coming out on the court at during the night session. I think to open open up on a Monday night or something yeah. down in Melbourne. And that was pretty fun watching Roger hit with uh, Rocket the Rocket. So he he wasn't doing too well from the baseline. He goes, maybe I should move up to the net and hit a few balls. You remember that? He start everybody started <laughs> laughing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, the Rocket. That'd be pretty special to. Uh, to pay pay and watch him back back in the day. Okay, so who would you like to have played in your career, and when would you have liked to have played them in their career? So would you have liked to play the the Rocket, or would you, and would you want him to play? You know, like nineteen sixty nine. You know, kind of when he was at the height of his, or Ken Rosewall, or you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, we were uh, just saw a picture of a uh, Mako up on the wall. Gene Mako. Oh, Gene Mako. Yes. Yes. Legend. Yes. 
in the I LA area. I would have loved to have played uh, Billy, Billy Jean. Yeah. I mean, that would have been amazing uh, uh, to play her at that time. Back in her time? Yeah, back in when she was really getting after it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, early 70s. She was remarkable, yeah. And one more would be Yvonne Gulagan. Oh, beautiful. Just because I did I did have a crush on her. Didn't we all? Yeah. 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 I think the yep. same crush, it, it became Gabby Sabatini five, ten years Gabby. later. Yeah, yeah same, same. I think we're same age. We all have the same crushes probably. Mm-hmm. So uh, favorite tennis player ever? Favorite tennis player now? Who's your favorite tennis player? My favorite tennis player ever, my favorite tennis player now. I mean, I feel like McEnroe deserved his own category because uh, I've never had so much uh, joy watching the game and watching someone play, being so angry at him when he would act like an asshole. Yeah. Um, (laughs) He still does that. (laughs) And so much – um, uh, yeah, just joy out of watching his artistry. Uh, and his courage. Um, so I, that he's in his own category. I think for me, uh, uh, is the best player ever. And I put second, I, I think I'd put it close to that. I think I'd put, uh, uh, on the women's side, I guess I put uh, Steffi and Serena. Yeah. Oh yeah. That'd be, that'd be a good match to watch those two in their prime at each other, but that'd be a really good match. Yeah. That could be a really one. Uh, any superstitions or rituals that you had maybe when you're playing tennis? Do you have any superstitions or rituals? It's like wear the sweet bandana or, you know, tug your, uh, rear end and then your nose and then, uh, like <laughs> a doll. <laughs> like grass water bottles. You know, I, I, I played, um, I, I was going to this, um, guy who's a, a disciple of, of, uh, the guy who wrote the inner game of tennis. Tim Galway. Tim Galway. Yeah, great book. AJ knows him, Zach. And, yeah. and Zach, you know, studied with him and. For many years, and I've I played tournaments again as an adult in my early mid thirties, just because I wanted to replay tennis with with um, with the psychology of it, using the psychology uh, even more so than the fundamentals, the physical fundamentals. Mm-hmm. And um, and I would and I wound up winning winning the Southern California uh, men's five O's and and. My, I would write in my. I would write in a at every changeover. At every changeover. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That, that was my. Uh, so that was a ritual that I found very helpful uh, at that time. Any but, thoughts? Just, just just any thoughts that came into your mind, or was there anything specific you were looking for? It was recentering me. Whatever whatever need I needed to write to bring me back to the moment. So nothing, nothing, nothing special, but just whatever, whatever it needed to be at that moment came through your mind. You just wrote it down. That's right. If I needed to let something go, I would write that. Or if I needed, just needed to go to some some mantras that I'd come up with for myself, some adages that, yeah, that would bring me back to the moment. Self one, self two, kind of like the inner game of tennis from Tim self Galloway one, back in the day. Mm-hmm. So I, I know you have kids. Do they do they play recreationally or competitively? Do you do you want mm-hmm. them to? Yeah, I'd love to. My daughter's three, and she loves to say, "I want to go play tennis." And then she picks up her little racket and she hits, you know, two balls, and then and then she runs around the court, drops the racket, runs around the court, and we go have lunch. Right? <laughs> All this positive reinforcement. Yes. I will say, you know, Mark is being funny. The kid is adorable. When we came uh, after tennis last night, 
I offered her my two rackets and they're, you know, larger than her, but she held them both and swung them around. And she said, I want to go play tennis with daddy. Yeah. Immediately yeah. as, as we walked home. Walked we need to get a picture for the at the net podcast, uh, Instagram and Facebook page. Yeah. yeah. Snap a picture of that. that. Oh yeah. That'd be funny. That'd be great. Yeah. Do that before you leave. That'd be, that'd be, Watch that'd be cool. Out, because Olivia Provisero might end up having a bit of a following if we, right tagger on the Instagram. Yeah. if that's okay if, that, if if dad doesn't mind i mean i think that'd be kind of a cool cool picture more so if mom doesn't mind there we go okay there yeah. we go yeah because i know uh through uh other social media sometimes uh parents don't want uh kids on on social media that's uh, reasonable yeah these days let them make their choice when they're at an age where they can know what they're, the choice they're making mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean it's, it's unfortunate i got jumped a couple of years ago i was doing a facebook live post down at uh, a convention and i was just showing people how interesting you know facebook live is and and uh, uh I, I was doing doing a post and i would there were some kids around i was just saying hi to them and it wasn't it was very innocent boy you would have thought I would have come over and, uh, you know, wanted the kids to follow me in the car and take them off. And this mom just – she just ripped me a new one. I was like, oh, hey, look, I'm deleting it right now. And I said, hey, I'm very sorry. I, You know, I didn't think it was any big deal, but, but that's the first time I knew that yeah. – uh, Certain people take it serious. That's why I was asking you. But just take a picture for fun, and then we'll That'd you can fun. show us. We'll, we'll just share it internally. That'd be great. That'd be great. Yeah. So let me let me ask you two more questions. All right. Yes. If you wouldn't, if you wouldn't, if if you wouldn't have played tennis, what would you have played? What sport? Well, my love was always basketball. I was always that was that's the one that I was on all the extra teams, and I played varsity basketball in high school. And then my senior year, I woke up. About a month before my senior year, and I was five eight and white. <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't need any five eight white guys in your school, huh? <laughs> Play basketball. <laughs> and, the, and the tennis coach would always call the basketball coach every year and say, "You know, Mark's really good at tennis. Can you just let him?" Like, because I would always prefer to play a basketball camp off season than even playing the tournament tennis, uh, you know, season. And uh, that year, I was I realized, oh. Maybe tennis is going to be what I do a little bit more, and that's what happened. <laughs> then last question here. Okay, so you're, uh, you, you have the magic tennis wand. What change or changes would you make to the great game, if any, and why? Would you leave it the same? Is there something you would – you know, if you, you, you were the commissioner for the day, you, you had the magic wand, and you, you could sprinkle the, uh, the dust out there and go, okay, we're going to make this, this change. Is there a change that uh, Mark Provisero changes about would, the great game? I would, I would absolutely – Without reservation, allow coaching. Number one, doesn't make any sense to me in the world. Uh, you know, I mean, I didn't, I didn't agree with Mac back then, but it makes perfect sense. I, I, uh, I think that that I think I, I'd love to see let courts played um, on the serve, um, and I would also ban people apologizing for a let court. I, I, <laughs> I, 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 They're not would, sorry. That as well. I've never understood. I, I couldn't agree more. I go out of my way not to apologize when I win a point. <laughs> off the lucky Why am I? I'm, the whole purpose of me being out there is to win this point. Like I'm smiling. I just won the point. I'm happy. I yes. played by the rules. Why am I apologizing? You might even fist pump a little bit. I won't. I do the lawnmower. <laughs> I'll just go back and. You know, say I'm glad I won the point. I'll just be and I'll just c- be. call the score, bounce the ball, and hit another set. What are we apologizing? Yeah, 
Uh, good point. Yeah, that's. I always thought those were very non. Uh, I ban the uh, apology. Ban the apology. Yeah, exactly. If, yeah. If, if they do apologize, they they deserve a fine. Well, that's yeah. the only way to ban yeah. it. That's the only, yeah. You gotta have teeth. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but. Uh, well, good, yeah, good stuff, Mark. We know that uh, we, we've uh, delayed uh, your uh, – uh, you, you need to go, and we, we've taken a lot of your time. If you want to stay, you can stay stay on. And, Thank uh, you, guys. Thank you. This is perfect. And yeah. talk about uh, some other stuff because we're going to talk about on-court coaching because I'm in your camp. AJC is not in our camp, and he's wrong. So we're going to – I'm going to chastise him. Gang up on me a little bit. I love it. I love yes. it. Well, I look forward to listening to that because uh, – uh, you're right, and AJ's wrong. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Kick him out of the house. Make him, make him. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. This is a, such a great idea you're doing. I love this podcast. Very happy for you. Well, thank and you, I can Mark. see this going places. Yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you. Uh, if you guys want, we'll sign off with Mark. We'll take a quick break, and we'll pick back up uh, in two or three minutes. Okay. Sounds like a good idea. It sounds like a plan. We'll, we might it. take a Take a potty break and uh, maybe a uh, break and cue out that music, ladies and gentlemen. Trey Rock with the guitar riff and the kitchen studios with our drums and bass. Go to it, everybody. Chief, uh, hit him big service here. <laughs> Are you Tukum Carry? I'm, I'm, what's that? Are you Tukum Carry? I'm uh, Tukum Carry. Tukum Carry. <laughs> Tukum Carry. <laughs> I carry one, you carry two. Tukum Carry. No. Tukum Carry. Tukum, you carry. <laughs> I'm chief of the lost tribe looking for Sasquatch. <laughs> Sasquatch. <laughs> we, we looking for Sasquatch. We have not found him. <laughs> Oh, that's great. All right. So we go, should we go on the second set and then let's go. Then uh, maybe I was thinking we do uh, on court coaching. Do we do no justice, yeah. no peace? That would be uh, Vastic Pospisil. And then uh, maybe oh, yeah. developing, developing some talent. What sports are good to develop? Sounds cross training. What age to really start playing? And then maybe uh, get off my lawn. Did you have anything for get off my lawn? I was trying to think. Or do we want to? Um, yeah, uh, we could do, uh, we've talked about grunting, uh, um, oh, grunting. yes, grunting. Gosh, you want to do grunting? I, I, yeah, uh, do grunting. Uh, we've, we've, we've done a little grunting. Uh, what about, uh, gosh, prize money, uh, we've done, um, or we could make a uh, language, the numb interview or maybe, uh, ten, uh, we could, let's see, we could do that, uh, <laughs> Fair and balanced. Did you guys there. do clothes yet? What's that? Did you guys do clothes? Yeah, we, we talked about some togs. That's tog talk. Togs last week, yeah. Tog talk. Let me see. Because you, I thought that you had sent you had sent something about it off my lawn. Let me let me look back here. Oh, I, I think it was for the future, right? Or maybe it was the Vashik Pospisil. Yeah, I know you sent something. Let me see. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, yeah, have a quick yeah. look. Yep. Okay, participation. Remember, exchange millennials keep tennis. Yeah, we were talking about. Uh, we'll uh, leave the sad comment. You know, we were talking about. 
those numbers. I know that. I still think that is it uh, just every. It's the same people playing. They're just counting. Yeah. There's, there's people playing, but it's just the same people playing. So it's really not growing the game. It is, and it's it's the same people playing. And I think they said six percent growth in right. the under tens or under twelves, right. but then r- radical uh, uh, not growth um, in the thirteen to eighteen. Um, and I think we're f- pretty flat in our age groups. And I forgot yes. what it was, but you, you, you had that article, which was good. Yeah, um, you the, the, the thing we should mention is if we want to get, do get off my lawn, they've moved the goalposts because, um, it used to be back when 18,000 or 18 million people played, it used to be that, uh, uh, once a, a month was regular. It was considered a regular player. Yeah. And now they're saying it's uh, three times a year. Ah, it's a whole different thing. Yeah, you, you'd put that. back. You'd, you'd put. Uh, what would you like? Forget off my lawn. Weirdly, tennis is bigger than ever, and also smaller yeah. than ever. I remember. Remember. Yeah, that's that's a good line. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, for remembering uh, for remembering that. Yeah. Um, it's weirdly, it seems bigger than ever in the Hollywood perspective and in the exposure and the marketing. And I think we would give an assist to people like Arlen Cantarian and Hollywood in general. And then it's smaller than ever because, uh, this is the eye test. This is the, uh, the courts aren't as busy or ball sales are actually down, especially racket sales are definitely down, things like that. I saw I saw something. I, I I have to look for this article, but it, it said that all this you know red ball, orange ball, green ball stuff isn't working out. Interesting. I, I I just saw that too. And I did you see that? The, what did we see? Yeah, that? I just saw it. Uh, yeah. It, was it on that website? Was it or was it in the uh, in that Vashik Possible? Uh, it might have been. I think yeah, it was. We, yeah. Okay. Was it in there? Okay. Yeah. Well, let, let's go. Ahead, let's start. Uh, you know, let's good. start. Uh, Let's start uh, rolling. We, we can okay. come up with something here. Great, and, great. Uh, you ready to start? Yeah, I'll roll you Let's in. Roll. in uh, okay. Uh, going live in five, four, three. All right. We are back, fans of the great game with AJC, Adrian Chabria from and L.A. Craig, and Craig Bell, CB1 from Dallas, right. Texas. Right. Welcome You're out back, of everybody. Land. Yes. Yeah. Huh. yeah. Second I'm out set. here. It's a beautiful place. Great. I mean, it's sort of warm during the days, but boy, it cools off nicely over here, which we don't get in Texas uh, are in the you, evenings. Are you out on the patio? Uh, yeah. With a big fat cigar and, and no. a beer in your hand? <laughs> Not quite, but but yeah, outside where the sound is good now and uh, just a really nice night to chill out out here. Yeah, I could almost use a sweatshirt. Yeah. Well, thank. Oh, oh, well, a little chilly. It's not that here. Sorry about that. Yeah, I know. I, I hate to break it. 90, yeah, <laughs> it's probably still ninety-five degrees at ten p.m. over there. But it's about ninety-five percent humidity. It rained this morning, <laughs> and it rained, and it just got humid and icky. It was, oh. it was almost like Houston. So it was, yeah, it's you're not don't don't come back if you don't have to. Okay, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, we we, uh, we really appreciate your buddy Mark Provisero on oh, with us. He's very nice guy. Seems like. Uh, uh, really interesting person. Has uh, done a lot uh, of interesting things, even after tennis, after the great game, mm-hmm. and just just a really good guest. So, hope you enjoyed uh, uh, the, those who are listening to us right now. Hope hope you enjoyed uh, Mark and the conversation with him. We'll def- definitely have him back. Definitely, that was a treat to talk. Uh, you know, even pre-show banter, uh, talk 
tennis, Hollywood, a little bit of everything. Comedy in general, he's uh, he's you know he was a little humble. He's not just a manager, former agent, and producer. He's been a stand-up comic too and screenwriting too. So he's kind of done it all. So we we'd have to. He had a great. He had a great uh, four people at his dinner table. I, I yeah. thought that was pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah, Constantine, Gandhi, uh, Anne Boleyn, and and uh, Johnny Mac. Johnny Mac, man, that that would be that'd be uh, you, you. There would be never a dull moment. You just have to open up the questions and off they go, right? What a quartet that is! Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. So well, let's get on to the second set. Yeah, we were we were talking about on court coaching. I think yes. that you're we we have a difference of opinion as far we as do. What what do you, a lot of times, yeah, a lot of times I can go a little edgy and uh, you'll go traditional more. But um, but you and Mark, gosh, so progressive. You guys like on court coaching. And I'm going to yes. I'm going to talk a little bit about why I'm not a fan. Um, and then I'm going to let you uh, kind of represent Mark a little bit and yourself and talk about why you guys are fans. Um, let me start with. So this is kind of like yeah. point. Point counterpoint back in the yeah, day, remember really back, way back. Yeah. J- Jane, you ignorant slut, was the was the accurate <laughs> yeah. line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I did. I, I was going there, but I thought oh, I'll, I'll I'll let you hit it off the tee right there. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thanks for for teeing that up for me. That was a good one. Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, yeah. That's right. that was funny. Yeah. Jane, Jane Curtin. Curtin, right? Well, um, <laughs> here's here's why I'm not into on court coaching. Um, okay. You grow up with an individual sport, and if it's golf, there are officials, but you take pride in turning in your score right. If it's boxing, there's definitely an official because it's a very physical game. So tennis is a little bit of both, uh, as they say, boxing without bloodshed. And I always like the one-on-one, no trainer, no coach, because you have to solve problems out there. No so caddy. That's the case to be exactly no coach, no caddy, no uh, no trainer, nobody to cut your you know cut me Gus, you know that kind of stuff. There's none of that. So uh, cut me Mick. Sorry, that was Mick. The rocky come on, line. Mick. Yeah. Come on, rock. Come, come on, on, rock. Cut me. Come on, rock. So uh, <laughs> so this is what I love about tennis is that you're out there and you have to problem solve and the scoring system. Since there's no clock, it lends itself to. I'm going to solve this problem. And that guy's got to win by two, you know, that kind of thing. Or that guy's going to win, you know, two out of three sets or three out of five or uh, tiebreaker at the end and all that. So for those reasons, I'm against it. Uh, tell me what's good about it. I just think that the quality of sport goes up if you have coaching out there, you know, Labor Cup. Davis Cup, they're they're sitting there on the sidelines talking to their charges. You know, when they come over, okay, here's what you need to do. I think we need to do a little bit of this, or not even just say, hey, yeah. hey, you're 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 doing fine. Hey, just don't worry about it. You know, let's, let's yeah. think about let's let's uh, think about all the great things that are that are going on. I just think that the quality. I I've 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 heard that the argument. Well, not everybody can afford a coach. Well, that's a bunch of horse hockey. Here's that here's really why. is. I, I'm I'm with you. Yeah, t- tell us what your solution might be. Well, there, we, we're members of the USPTA, United yep. States Professional Tennis Association, certified group of teaching pros. Uh, we have a local tournament here in town. And uh, at T-Bar-M Racket Club, uh, every what, late January, 1st of February, really good challenger mm-hmm. event. If USPTA pros at a certain level, maybe at the highest level, uh, the elite level or master pro goes in and says, okay, hey, look, look I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll – 
I'll donate my services for the week. There might be, you know, let's say 50 of us around town that mm-hmm. uh, you get on a little clipboard, sign your name in, say, hey, I'm available here. And, uh, you know, we're not chumps out there. We, we have done this for a long time. And, and if, if uh, let's say a, a player, let's say Jim Smith comes in and doesn't have a coach and says, mm-hmm. oh, hey, Adrian, you know, would you sit, just sit down, just be another set of eyes for me on the mm-hmm. court? And then I'll come over and, and if he wants to use your advice, that's great. If he doesn't, then, you know, then it's no, no harm, no foul. But there's, but I think you would be willing to do something like that for, for a, a match, two matches. You know, if Jim likes you, then, hey, gosh, you might have a, a nice relationship going. And you just sit there. It's just somebody there to kind of have another uh, opinion about, you know, what's taking place. USPTA pros, we, we passed uh, uh, certification. We're, we're in this you know, for our profession, and I think that that the level of play increases. It doesn't hurt anything. You, you, you know, even on a changeover for a minute, then uh, that kind of disqualifies those who say, "Well, not everybody can afford a coach." Well, they can because you know these guys are USPTA pros. They're not the the lowest level. They're the highest level between elite or master professional. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they they've no kind of what, what's taken place, you know, out there. They've they've been in the industry probably at least and, 10 plus and, years yeah. or more. And they've got a lot to offer. And what a unique opportunity yeah. it is for that right. coach to highlight some of his skills. Then That's just me. And that's that's yeah. why – now, Mark, I don't know. We, he just said he was for on-court coach. I just think that the product is better, and I think we're, we're trying to make uh, uh, tennis better. Uh, I like officials on court. I'd like officials on court every match out there, whether right. it's you know high school, college, juniors, whatever it is. Uh, I just think that uh, we we do our sport a disservice. I, I mean, part of me said, yeah, you know, I like the the honor among you know men. This is a gentleman sport. Well, right. you know, there's a, there's a couple of foot wedges in golf that go on, you know, out there. I'm sure, and and there there might be a little pencil, uh, you know, kind of. At least there's not erasers on on uh, scorecards. I'm sure there's some some pencil whipping going on. But yeah, there's some people you know you know them and I know them that uh, yeah, yeah. we played matches that uh, I can tell you as sure as the world. John McEnroe probably pulled a fast one on some kid in 14s maybe at some tournament, and that kid got hacked off. And you know John, you know, oh you cannot be serious. You know, and then you know pulled that you know that famous line, and of you know course. then they 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 had some type of ensuing uh, drama and, and the one kid went and got a an official and you know, i can i can just see it you know it, it, yeah that's, that's just me now you know you now john might be a nice guy and he might be fun to have dinner with and all that kind of stuff but i just of course. i think that uh, I, I just think that there's there's a lot at stake for me in the junior world uh and if you have coaching around and and i just think to me that that kind of stuff just doesn't uh happen um you know, those kind of shenanigans, maybe at juniors or colleges. I mean, college tennis, you know, you can go out there. Now, I think they do a little too much. I think they're almost too intrusive that, uh, you know, college coaches between points, you know, they're sitting there telling their, their charges what to do. I, I don't yeah. necessarily like that. I, just, I like them sitting on the sidelines there, and that's where they have to sit. And then when the when a player comes over for, you know, for uh, the changeover, then that's when they right. can get coaching. That, that's that's my coaching, not not standing there, you know, behind the fence and telling them, okay, hit, hit to Adrian's forehand. His forehand's yeah. terrible, you know, or mm. or uh, slice it low, bring him in, you know. Yeah, him tactical kind of things, yeah. Right. You know, um, uh, a, a little bit on, on yours and Mark's side, I also feel, um, uh, you know, kind of t- to your point, how it could, it could bring the quality up. It could cover for a player who's – maybe physically gifted but not as mentally gifted, it could cover a little bit for that person and boost them a little bit. But 
I think one of the compelling arguments for on-court coaching is then it won't be illegal for somebody to signal from the crowd, which is, as we know from the Naomi Osaka, uh, Serena Williams match this past U.S. Open about almost a year ago, that's hard to enforce. Yes, because we've heard everybody does it, and yeah. there's there is there is coaching going on. It's just not official. It, it's unofficial. Right. That right. Uh, we've heard from several several people. Um, uh, so the, the the dam is breaking, Dave. The brain. See, yeah. he's he's, he's, see, he's seeing the light. You know, he's coming over yeah. our, our side now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you got it. You guys ganged up on me nicely. That was good. I like. We, it. we gave you the noogie. We we've got you around the <laughs> head, head, and we just in the headlock, in the headlock and, and pounded on him. So well done, guys. All yes. right, let's go. Let's go to the the third set because we, yep. we we know we we have a long uh, we have a couple of more sets that we want to get into and we don't want to be a five hour podcast so we want to let's, let's let's move let's move this on third set what's your game Mister Chabria so what that, is my game what is your game so we were talking about uh, in the third set yeah uh, Vasic Pospisil the tennis player from Canada yeah has recently come out native. Yes, it was recently come out with an article talking about tennis needs change if it wants to restore fairness and transparency. Do you know what what he means by that? I read it. I read it. It was uh, it, you know, he gave some nice insight into the way he grew up. He is an affable kid. He's uh, yes. son of Czech immigrants. He appreciates. Yes. Uh, basically, he. I don't think it's just another pro athlete who's asking for more money. I think what he wants is. A uh, slightly larger share for that, that would go to players, not himself. Yes, not necessarily yes. middle-ranked players like he's been. I believe he's been injured with a couple things, so he's had a yes. PR yeah. right protected ranking for back, back, the past back year. surgery. So, he, he's had back surgery. Pretty, pretty yes. serious, yeah. yeah. And his ranking talking, is in the two hundreds. But Joseph, for a while yes. there, he was five uh, between fifty and eighty, if I recall correctly. He, he was right? climbing. Yeah, he was yeah. climbing and. Yeah. Uh, well, what his stance is basically players are given the bare minimum of what the governing bodies feel will avoid a revolution or an extremely angry group of players. So he, he's really throwing the, the tournaments under the, the bus and saying that yeah. uh, th- they're not sharing their their uh, books with uh, players, that uh, yeah. they're making a lot more money, and and, uh, and he cites other uh, uh, you know sports saying that uh, – yeah, the, the, uh, he said they, by comparison, they, here, here's he says that they revenue share up to about 40 percent, where in yes. Grand Slam tennis at the elite levels of tennis, it's about seven percent for men, seven percent for women. So about 14 yes. percent, which is, you know, vastly uh, below that 40 percent yes. figure from some of the other uh, sports like the NFL. Right. And he was saying by, by comparison in 2018, the men's singles players. To finish the year ranked 51 to 100, made an average of 583,235 before taxes and heavy expenses. In the NHL, he's just citing the NHL, uh, yeah. that's National Hockey League, you know, uh-huh. uh, there were more than 450 players who made more than 1 million U.S. The revenue share mm-hmm. in the NHL is 50% plus their expenses are covered. So he, he's yeah. uh, saying that they're paid twice as much and their expenses are paid. Just in the NHL, that's not NFL, NBA, that's or Major League Baseball. You know, and, and my rebuttal to that is, first of all, I want to say how I agree with it and how it makes total sense to me. But the rebuttal could be, well, look, man, this is an individual sport and that's a team sport and the economies of scale are different. I, I understand that that's probably the establishment ATP sort of uh, perspective. But uh, 
the kids got a point and how prevalent would match fixing betting selling matches be if everybody was paid pretty well yes oh yeah in no, other no, words no. If, if prize money were up you don't want to win 20 grand by throwing that match you'd rather win 28 grand by winning that match that's correct yeah that, that- hundred percent correct. You know, it's always, you know, tennis is always the, one of the most interesting sports because from the standpoint that it has one tour going around the world where right. golf has three tours that has three. a Western, yes, it has the Western, you know, kind of like the Asian Australian yep. tour. It's got the North American tour, basically, maybe they're fourth uh-huh. or South American tour. And then there's also the European tour. So uh-huh. there, when, when, uh, the, uh, like masters or the U S open, uh, the PGA championships uh, come up in the United States. You get a bunch of these foreign guys you never heard of and go, where did these guys come from? Yeah. And, but, well, they've been playing the other tours over like in Europe or they might be over in, in Asia playing uh, uh, or maybe down South America. Tennis, you know, right now we're in the U.S. swing. So we've got mostly right. U.S. tournaments and then Toronto and, and Montreal start tomorrow. It's kind All of right. the U.S. swing uh, at this at this time. Then it'll, it'll go basically after the U.S. Open. It goes back over to Europe, I believe, and they kind of start there's the some, indoors. Yeah, there, there are actually some in China, like Shanghai is a Masters over there. And then there's the Europe stuff like Paris, Bercy, and, uh, you know, those tournaments leading into the the Masters, the year-end yes. ATP. Yeah. Yes, right. And, yeah. and, but, and then, but there's nothing back here in the United States. So there's, you know, there's really – I mean, there's some small things going on, but it's just kind of a bunch of nothing when – yeah, you know, we used to. That's where I think if if we had one North American tour, if we had a European tour, if we right. had you know an an Asian swing, you know, people could could uh, develop their game. It'd be larger. And I think what uh, Pospisil saying, and he's not saying you know from a spoiled athlete standpoint. This is he has some really good points, and I read some reviews and comments, and yeah. they were in total agreement with what this. They had about sixty sixty uh, reviews, and and most everybody was agreeing with what possible possible so it, said and it was a well-written piece uh, especially the parts that came from him for example he came right out and wanted to take the bull by the horns and say hey before you think this is another rich athlete asking for more money you know that's not really what this is about and he talked about the the larger perspective that he has yes yeah, yeah and for the, and for the he, tour and the lesser players and he came from he says when i was five years old i started playing that's about an average age for the current top 100 uh-huh. uh in my case, my dedication to sport was made possible by my parents who escaped the communist regime in the Czech Republic, Czech Republic em- yeah. and immigrated to Canada with no money in their pockets. Uh, I was born shortly after my father became an avid tennis fan and started coaching me from magazines and videotapes. So his dad, you know, that, that's that, that's pretty cool that, that he just read magazines and watched some tapes. And when I start, when I was 12, I started homeschooling. This meant mm-hmm. more court time, uh, having the flexibility to travel to competitions. When I was 14, my father sold sold our house in the, in the small hockey town I grew up in. And our whole family of five plus two dogs lived in a one-bedroom apartment in the city so I could pursue my, my dreams in tennis in a more tennis friendly environment my, mm-hmm. my father also quit his job so he could travel with me full time on a shoestring budget to tournaments and competitions around north america and europe we mostly drove across the continents from t- tournament to tournament sleeping in cheap motels friends houses and occasionally rest areas so yeah. without without major sacrifices for my family it would have been nearly impossible for me to make it in the sport so i mean so this guy you know he he didn't uh, come from the vast wealth that uh, some some athletes do share in tennis but actually just pulled pulled it came you know fully pulled himself up by his own bootstraps basically hard work and parents just uh, decided to okay we're rolling the dice you know at this time 
And that's with a, I know Jason Marshall, one of our previous guests made a big deal out of how I think Craig Garden, Carden did also how in Europe, those, these kids that are teenagers playing ITFs, they are really, really well supported generally by their FFT, for example, their national federation, FFT in France, LTA in England and so on. Yes. And uh, Vasek, I'm sure, was supported by Tennis Canada, but it sounds like the, he really did it on his own organically, like a lot of American kids. He's Canadian, but sort of similar. Uh, a lot of American kids have to do who aren't supported uh, and housed at the USTA training centers or like in Barcelona or in Paris, how they have their federations training centers. Yeah. So yeah. good on Vasek, and I trust his opinion. And mind you, he's not just uh, an outspoken ATP player who's trying to come back from injury. He's also a member of the Player Council, and that's correct. That's a, that's an ATP Player Council that has lost some some serious um, clout. You know, has lost some weight. Some people have resigned from that uh, that council. Here recently, yes. In in light of the Justin Gimbel stop, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, his dalliance uh, with yeah. uh, is uh, issues with uh, uh, anger management, You're right? Violence, right? Yeah. So it's. Uh, I, I think it's fantastic that a guy who we could lose him as a council rep, but he's articulate. He's really intelligent, and he's got a he's got a point to make. So I'm happy he's making it. Yeah, I mean, he he really thought this out. Uh, I mean, he he decided to run for the ten member ATP. Uh, tour players council and a year ago got elected so he actually got elected he had to go through mm-hmm. the process it didn't get put on there and he goes i was i couldn't believe the things i was hearing and was outraged by the realities of the tour i wanted to try to affect change i was angered by the lack of substance and information mm-hmm. at the atp players council meetings where all the top players of the tour are present i wanted to do something but mainly i wanted to know more so he, i mean good on him i mean as, as the aussie saying goes because he yep. really put himself out there he put himself out there just just recently by writing this article he's talking about maybe even unionizing mm-hmm. the you know the players but you know some of them um talked about uh, he said contract labor because these they're all contract labor so they're all paying yep. their own taxes and uh you know uh so union may not work but he said uh, I, I like this towards the end he said we're constantly told that we must trust the tournaments and that is that this is a partnership uh, except this is a business, is what he's saying. The players are mm-hmm. given the bare minimum of what the governing bodies feel will avoid a revolution or, or an extremely angry group of players. The goal of the ATP, in, in order to to avoid unrest, is uh, unrest in its otherwise well-run and controlled empires to give players only what they need. Still, there is a history of player unrest on the tour. In 2012, almost all the players, except one in a very high-profile position, wanted to boycott the Australian Open. I don't remember that. Do you remember that? No, yeah, I, I I, I didn't didn't know that. I, we, you know, not all the time we are in the know, but uh, because of this pressure, there were prize money increases from the slams in recent years. The revenue share has gone has barely gone up, though, if all because the slams have been making more money every year as well. So that's so he's he's really I mean, he's throwing he's throwing a lot of lot of lot of uh, uh, rocks at the uh, the window, you know, and it, just saying that the way things are right now, there's more uh-huh. money out there that the tournaments. Uh, federations, associations aren't uh, being fair. I always thought that the tour decided in certain events what what uh, was was uh, doled out. But I guess he's saying that the Grand Slams, the Grand Slams tell the players, here's what they're given, and yep. that's it. You better like it. Go sit down or else. Sit down and shut up, you know, basically. 
it's, it's interesting. Very, mm-hmm. very interesting. Uh, so if, if anybody is uh, listening and is interested in this, you know, type in FASIC Pospisil, tennis needs change if wants to mm-hmm. restore fairness and transparency. Pretty, pretty nice article. No justice, no peace, yep. as they say, yes. right? <laughs> Ronnie King. Right. Yeah. Right, right there. Uh, let's go to the four set real quick because we don't want to. Let's go. Yeah, keep, let's keep moving here and, and kind of keep Fourth pushing. Set. For Ready set. for you, CB. Yep. We're developing talent. We want to talk about some talent. You know, we were, we've been talking about uh, uh, with Mark uh, what age he started, you know, right. tennis, uh, what uh, what what sports might be good to cross-train. What, what age you really, in your mind, I know we were talking about, well, Possible still said he started playing tennis when he was five. Mark's Mark like also five, yeah. tennis. Yes. What, what age did you play tennis? I'm interested. To- I, I, I took the first sort of group lessons that, that I, I had a part of. Uh, uh, I think that was, I was six already, so it was 1975. And before that, just kind of what a lot of kids do is, uh, you know, foam ball or a real ball in your backyard or something. So I batted that around a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, you'd have to say really officially six, starting at six for me. But, yeah, like you said, very few uh Pro tennis players start at eight, nine, ten anymore. It's usually before eight. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, cause that's, yeah. uh, I, you know, I know McEnroe. He's talking about uh, th- that athletes should cross train in other sports also too, like play soccer. That was kind of part of this developing talent. Uh, Were you tennis specific? Were, or did you play some other sports great, growing up? Great question. Like Mark was, uh, his first love was basketball. I happen to know. He was also a very good soccer player as a kid. He didn't really talk about that. Me, I was able to play all of them. And it's it's funny you mentioned McEnroe because he's probably, along with the medical community, who was there definitely outspoken about let's not be one sport for 52 weeks. Like it's important to have multi-sport athletes. Psychologists agree. Uh, all the medical professionals agree with that too because it cuts down on burnout and repetitive use injuries. So if we're talking about the brain or the body, or the fact that they're connected, I get McEnroe's point. It's funny, right when McEnroe um, made, uh, made that statement, it was about when the John McEnroe Tennis Academy was getting bigger and bigger. This is about four years ago. And I do remember talking with a couple of guys at a national open. It happened to be in our area in Frisco, Texas, at the Lakes Academy. And there was one coach there from Indiana, and there were several coaches there from the Texas area. Two of them uh, and I were talking about this, and one of them kind of represented McEnroe's opinion that, yeah, multi-sport athletes, like, don't stop. Don't uh, don't stop with the soccer or the basketball because they really help your footwork. And it's similar movement to tennis, but it's a different thing. So it helps the brain and the body. Uh, the other one represented the exact opposite, that, oh, McEnroe doesn't know what he's talking about. Like, are you kidding me? You miss... Uh, eight hours of tennis in a week because you're playing another sport or you're trying to balance the two, you will lose to the kid who's playing 20 hours of tennis in a week. So I suppose, I, yeah, I, I suppose I see that point too, especially if you're talking about chasing points at a national open or chasing points in the 12s, 14s, 16s, whatever. But my goodness, there is obvious, there are obvious benefits to your uh, state of mind if you're not only playing only one sport. Uh, if you're cross-training a little bit like Nick Kyrgios does with basketball, Boris Becker did it with basketball in a big way, uh, a lot of guys did some different things to keep them in, um, in peak physical condition. 
I, I enjoy watching Novak Djokovic and uh, any of his practice partners warm up. They do some soccer stuff. They do some interesting things. Uh, some, sometimes it's just little ten, mini tennis, you know, in the two boxes or four boxes. But other times it's some pretty inventive stuff. And you can see, gosh, you know, when you're talking about developing, there's no question soccer helps you develop agility and footwork. Maybe not upper body strength. Basketball, a little bit of upper body strength because you're shooting, you're handling a ball, and a lot of footwork too. So there's certainly some some merit to these other sports. Yeah, I, I, I think yeah. so. I, yeah. I, I got a later start in life. Uh, I, I didn't start in, playing in tennis, tennis yeah. until I was about 14. I, I played football, baseball, and basketball growing mm-hmm. up and played nine years of baseball, uh, nine years of football, and mm-hmm. uh, about six years of basketball. And I realized that, that like uh, – uh, Mark was saying they didn't need any five eight uh, white guys on the basketball team. They didn't need any five two running backs yeah. that weighed 110 pounds that was fast in Oklahoma City. So tennis became a, a sport that uh, size really it, 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 it did matter, but it didn't matter. You know, if you, you know, were, I agree, I agree. I, I hear it all the time that oh yeah, the tennis player of the future will be six five and can move. I don't and think granted. So. I, I do remember when tall guys couldn't move, and now yes. you got tall guys who move very well. But you've got Diego Schwartzman, who just won a tournament today. Sure. ATP oh, he tournament. Did. He beat uh, Taylor. Uh, was it Taylor, was Taylor, it Fritz? Taylor Fritz? I believe. Yeah, he's six foot something. And uh, and little Diego Schwartzman, you know, looks like he's almost a foot shorter than his opponent. And the dude won the match. He's, he won the tournament. It's, yeah, so that like dude, you that say, dude's got some wheels. Yeah, he's got wheels. He's got strength, lower body, upper body. He's got a good brain. He understands his game and he uses it well. And and this is what I think you mean when you say you don't have to have a specific body type for tennis. Like it, it's it's okay to be a little shorter or uh, or taller or whatever. I think as long as you have good eye hand coordination, that's that's yeah. the main thing. Now I was never a national level junior type player because I I didn't start early enough. It just that was not going to be uh, in my uh, uh, wheelhouse. I can see that now as a teaching pro that I, having a late start uh, would I wouldn't say it stunted my tennis. Uh, opportunity, but it takes no, you you know, six up, or seven years to really. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I did fine in college. I oh, you got I really caught up good in college. Later. Yeah, 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 and then even into my adult years, I, I got yeah. I got better. But I mean, it, I can see how if if I would have started at five or six or seven, I would have been further along. But you know, I like the other sports too. I you know, I pitched in baseball when I was in first grade, and I you know, I was mm-hmm. running back, and you know, and uh, you know, I played. We didn't start basketball until about. Uh, uh, that sounds pretty interesting. You must be uh, by a motorcycle there, it sounds like. This. Somebody, uh, that was a big dog farting. It might have been a big dog <laughs> farting. It was, it was Mark saying a bad word, and David oh. farted out. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm outside on the back porch, and there must have been. We, we're basically near L.A. Tennis Club. There must have been something coming out of that parking lot. Yeah, yeah, well, very cool. Uh, but uh, also, let's, let's move on to a couple other things yep. as well. So I think we've we've... Uh, talked about developing talent. It, you really, right. there's no perfect age. It just kind of depends on, you know, who who the the kid is, who the persons right. are, people are, and you know, there's a lot of good sports out there. I think it really, there's no perfect age, but just just introduce your your kids or you yourself any time to yeah. you know, start playing. Depends on what you really really want to do. We, I wanted to talk about Dennis Vandermeer, one of the premier oh. teachers in our industries that that developed a lot of talent over the years. And God he, rest his soul. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, Moving on to that uh, big court in the sky, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he, he uh, developed probably more 
professional tennis coaches and even helped uh, many, many, many of professional players, tennis players as well in his career. That guy was he, he was a rock star in, in our industry. Definitely. If you haven't heard of Dennis Vandermeer or his Vandermeer camps over on, on Hilton Head Island, yeah. I mean, the guy was just a, a genius at what he... He was a genius. He did really everything. Like you say, he grew up in South Africa. He was a professional player. He developed professional players. He was a club pro here in the States at Berkeley Tennis Club in California. And uh, like you said, Hilton Head shipyard, several facilities over there in South Carolina. And he developed teaching systems and... A lot of tour coaches and tour players. So impressive man who made, uh, who just raised the profile of tennis, not just in the States, but in the whole world. He started a, an organization called Professional Tennis Registry, about 16,000 mm-hmm. pros that uh, worldwide. I, I'm a little bit of Dennis Vandermeer. Uh, I, I'm a PTR pro as well mm-hmm. as a USPTA master professional. And I like his standard method of, of teaching, been a been a member for uh, 25 plus years with uh, PTR. I just thought Excellent. he had some really interesting uh, uh, opportunities for showing people how to do progressions and, and with, with, with tennis and just, just a really interesting uh, individual that really uh, will be missed by the, the industry because he, he was just – and he had an awesome memory. That, uh, I've talked to numerous people that uh, would say that Dennis could get a, a group of two or 300 people and they, they would be uh, – he would just learn everybody's name, and he Amazing. would talk, talk to everybody about uh, their shots, and and get two seconds with everybody. Then then they would go in in the uh, in the room, and they'd start replaying, uh, you know, the uh, uh, video that the footage. And he would start start talking about people. He goes, Adrian, I told you not to you uh-huh. know, hit your forehand <laughs> like this, and he would he'd call people out. You know, he'd just remember. Because, yeah, what a memory! What an amazing he, guy. Uh, he, yes, you talk about a guy that, and they, uh, I, I had several friends that said that they had worked with him said he oh yeah he, he had this incredible memory uh just a really passionate individual and, and uh you know rest in peace dennis because we're going to miss you buddy amen yeah uh tennis birthdays hey let's talk about some august tennis birthdays there is this month is just packed with celebrity tennis players that were yeah. born in the month of august i you know starting off on the first jack kramer one of the world's oh. preeminent uh, tennis players ever in the in the great game. The Jack yeah. Kramer autograph, August first, nineteen twenty one. Jack Kramer, what a man! August, right? what a man! One of the greatest of all times, and I uh, I will always remember the kind of serve he had, even in his fifties. That guy could serve on a dime. In fact, back was it Ed Sullivan show or some? It was one of the great uh, iconic television shows. They suspended a coin above the net. Yes. And asked him to hit it, and the legend he has it he hit it on the first try. It's like <laughs> a silver dollar suspended from a ceiling of an indoor tennis court on a soundstage, and the guy just nailed it. He's a remarkable server and a businessman, and in many ways, you know, we're talking about teaching union and things like that, and the tour and uh, the business of tennis. He brought it big time, and and he wrote that book, The Game. And I'm sure there's some people who didn't like him, like a like his own friends like Pancho Gonzalez, but uh, boy, what a difference maker. And the first ATP uh, leader, the first boss of it, 1973. Yeah, it started really the, the men's professional game the, where it is today, really. I think right. he was the, the, the preeminent person. Uh, sometimes it's, it's not always easy to be the first person to do something like yeah. uh, like, like we were saying. You, you cause uh, some controversy sometimes, but uh, his, uh, he had the Jack Kramer Tennis Club there in L.A. too yeah. for a long time. So he yeah. very... Very uh, influential in the game of tennis. Vic Braden, 
born uh, on uh, the 2nd of uh, August. Another huge name in tennis born in August. Wow. Yeah, 1929. And then we move on to uh, the third gentleman, Tim Mayotte, was born uh-huh. in, in 1960. He and I gentleman share Gentleman Tim, same, yeah. Same, gentleman same year of birth, you two. Yes, yes. And then yeah. the eighth is for known for one, the King Roger Federer. Roger Federer, August 8th. He'll be 38 mm-hmm. years old. 1981. Then the next mm-hmm. day, maybe the greatest player uh, of all time, the Rocket. Rod Laver, August 9th. 1938. He shares a, a, the same date with Brad Gilbert, 1961. Uh-huh. So that's kind of an interesting. Brad Gilbert and Rod Laver share yeah, a day. Same birthday. Yeah, uh, not quite the same age, but uh, I think Rod almost looks as looks better than Brad. <laughs> <laughs> Rod looks good. Hey, th- uh, there's got to be a certain Pete Sampras in this list. Uh, that would be the 12th of August in 1971. Yeah. Pistol Pete Sampras shares a birthday with Stefano Tsitsipas. Yes. Born on in 1998, so he's going to turn 21. He's going to be legal. He's going to be able to uh, have a beverage maybe. <laughs> yeah. Something tells me he's already had a beverage. Eh, he might have might might have had one or two along the Over way. In Europe, yeah, in Europe it's more like eighteen. Yeah, Tony Traber. Oh, oh, Tony oh, yeah, go ahead. Traber, the Tiger. Yeah, no, no, go back. Uh, Stefano. Oh, sorry, I was going to say yeah. uh, Stefano's had such a good week, uh, uh, good doubles match with the Wimbledon champions, uh, or against the Wimbledon champs yes. uh, with Nick Kyrgios, and then he did have a match point against Kyrgios in the semifinal. Yes. And what a friendship those two guys have and a vibe. Yeah, it's pretty it's kind of neat. Nick Nick posted the handshake shot, and he said uh, the caption was uh, "Look at this later." Like uh, like let's have a Greek pastry after. Kind of gets, gets cute. Both yeah, being he, half Greek, uh, Stephanos being Russian and Greek, and Nick being uh, Malaysian and Greek. Yes, that that's yeah. Uh, yeah just uh, I would put the two together, but hey, you know what? Opposites attract, as they say. You they know, that's, sure uh, do. They sure do, and I love Nick's uh, comment. Yeah, like he's got such a huge future, and you know, I just don't want to, him to hang out with me too much. I don't want him to learn from me. I want him to, you know, go go be amazing. You know, so yeah. I thought that was humble yeah, of him. And of course, the most- a day later they played, and Nick won it. You know. Yeah, barely. I mean, he was up 5-1, and then Tsitsipas won the next five points, up 6-5, wow. and, and had it, and then uh, ended up losing, I think, what, 8-6? I think. Uh, yeah, maybe uh, 9-7 even, yeah, nine, where, where yeah. Nick asked the member of the crowd, yeah, I don't have a coach, where should yeah. I serve this? And he did. Yeah. He served wide, <laughs> and he got an easy return and banged with the forehand, and there he is. See, there's Champion. coaching, on-court coaching right there. There is AJC. Coaching. AJC <laughs> you have, went back. You, you guys have proved me wrong, and I, I'm seeing uh, the even happy about it. Yeah, Seeing the light there. But we were saying the 16th was Tony Traber. That's, oh, yeah. that's a pretty good pretty good name in tennis, right? What did you say, 1930? Davis Cup captain, Davis Cup stalwart in the 50s, yeah. Yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty. Let me back up. And uh, one of the four oh, yeah. musketeers, Jean Barocho, 1898 oh, on August 13th. Uh-huh. Yes, one of the Another forgotten August. ones. It mo- yeah. mo- mostly uh, Rene Lacoste and, and uh, I would say uh, uh, well, Henri uh, Cochet. Henri Cochet, Cochet yeah. was a big name. Yeah, Jean Barotra yeah. and uh, Jacques Brunion was the fourth. Jacques Brunion, yeah. yeah. But I would say out of that group, Rene Lacoste is the most well known of the four four musketeers. But Barotra is right there. You know, he's not. Yeah. Uh, uh, but. Uh, August thirteenth. Let's see a couple of more that because uh, yeah. uh, we, we we've got a couple of more podcasts. But uh, we got Guillermo Vilas coming up. Uh, we've got yes. Mots, your buddy Mots Vilander. Oh, uh, love coming Mots. Up. Yeah, yeah. 
We've got uh, little Andy Roddick uh, is coming up uh, at the end of the month. Barry McKay, uh-huh. the great uh, tennis player and also tournament director. Yeah, Barry McKay. Barry McKay. Uh, one of the Bagel Brothers, Harold Solomon, coming up. Uh-huh. Uh, Solomon, Solly. Yes. Yeah. And then uh, we've got Lee Shires and a few others. We'll, we'll throw those out here in, in, a, in a few more days as well. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, quite, quite, quite an interesting group of uh, people that were born. Uh, uh, Richard Ranskin was born on August 19th. Renee Richards. Uh, there you go. Became, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, quite quite an interesting month of, of August that uh, a lot of people uh, were famous pe- famous tennis players born in the month of August. So let's see. So if you back up, what, eight or nine months, that's, uh, the parents may be having a little, <laughs> little New Year's uh, Christmas Eve, uh, <laughs> time. Yeah, Christmas or New Year's conception. Dave was kind of smiling at that also, too. <laughs> that's good. Good one. <laughs> well, let's, let's go uh, story behind the story before we do get off my lawn. Real quick. Good, uh, good. This So on August 4th, we're, we're here on August 4th, uh, 2019, but back – 119 years ago, so this would be 1900, August yeah. 4th, 1900, first ever British Cup team of Arthur Gore, Ed Ed Black, and H. Roper Barrett arrived by boat. I can't imagine them arriving by boat in New York Harbor en route to the Long, Longwood Cricket Club in Boston, Massachusetts. Yeah, that's yeah, that's, with the U.S. So yeah, that's up in Brookline. Yeah, Brookline, yes. Mass., just west of Boston, and a gorgeous, beautiful club. Um they have cricket grounds, and it's known for that, but it was those amazing grass tennis courts. They hosted that, – that was 1900, the first 1900. Davis Cup. Yeah, and it, and was a, it was a Harvard student from St. Louis named Dwight Davis, right, who started correct. the whole thing, went to, I want to say, Tiffany's or somewhere and bought a big cup, big trophy, and Huge, decided, yeah. okay, uh, USA against England, and it became – all four slam countries, France uh, and Australia, and then now it's 198 countries, I believe. That's correct. Yes, that you, you are. Uh, yeah, that that play uh, Davis Cup. Yeah, it, yeah. Now, could you imagine riding riding a boat for what, what was it? Maybe take two weeks to get across from oh, 18, oh. 19 days, something. Yeah, almost two, it, maybe more than two weeks, right? And I'm sure the the, the waves were a little little. Uh, it could be a little <laughs> tough out there. Let's <laughs> see. I'm gonna go play tennis over in in Boston. Okay, we'll yeah. see you. Tell us how you did. <laughs> write us a letter. <laughs> yeah, t- Telegram. <laughs> yeah, 1900. I mean, that that's hard to believe in 119 years. What's transpired? You know, we almost. You know, I mean, we're sitting here talking via Skype, and uh, those yeah. guys had to take uh, three weeks to uh, to get over from London to uh, to, to, to Boston. What what a what a, what. What a great world we live in 119 years later. But, yes, so you, I think you, you – didn't you have a story about the – I Davis did. Cup? Yeah. Yeah, in, uh, in 90, 99 was the 100th edition of the Davis Cup. And um, Longwood Cricket Club hosted – I believe it was the quarterfinal. Um, it was Australia against U.S. And it was a great match. It was hot as could be. I went with a bunch of folks from my tennis program, my club, down here in Dallas. And – uh, a few friends, and we had the best time, but we remarked that, oh, look at this. The high in Dallas is 99. The high in Boston is 101. Like, we picked the wrong weekend to be here. It was uh, it was a great weekend of tennis. I enjoyed watching. It was not on grass, even though the, the club mostly has grass courts there. They have some Hartrue on the north end of the club. They had a few hard courts, or maybe they built it, and they put some stands up to hold about 6,000 people. They had the Harvard band playing, which is kind of interesting because that's where Dwight Davis was a student. 
they must have had five or six courts busy uh, of members just playing. Some of the kids would play barefoot on grass. That's that's kind of a, a thing, I guess, uh, to play barefoot on grass. But those people seemed perturbed that there was a Davis Cup, there was, there was some outside event at their club. So they just kind of played on the grass. And a bunch of us were treated to some really great tennis. Leighton Hewitt was 16. He won his match. Uh, Pete Sampras, unfortunately, didn't play for us. Pat Rafter did play for the Australian team. Boy, that's the, a pretty good team. Hewitt it was and a Rafter. stacked, and it was, I believe, Sandin Stolle played with Pete Sampras in doubles, and we did get that point. But I want to say we lost either three one, four one. It may have been three one. Then we won the, the a dead one at the end. But our the dead rubber. That I always love yeah, that the dead the dead, the dead rubber. rubber. Great name. Here's like Great name. Yeah. why do we call these rubbers? I mean, like that yeah, almost whole... sounds a little uh, you know uh, kind of like <laughs> uncomfortable saying it and thinking about it because it's, it's really a prophylactic. I mean, it's like it's a dead prophylactic. You know? <laughs> Dwight Davis knew what he was doing. I guess <laughs> he had a sense of humor, weekend. right? He had a good one, yeah. So that was a great weekend, and it was a pleasure watching Pete Sampras play doubles. The guy can do anything with a tennis ball, so that was that was impressive for a bunch of us. It was on, on, on a, I don't I don't think Agassi played. I believe Jim did, and Agassi wasn't on the team or, or that weekend. He may have been injured or something. I do also remember a sad note that same weekend. Uh, John F. Kennedy Jr. died that weekend off oh, the coast. It? Yes, somewhere yes. between Montauk and Cape Cod. I think he took a, a small airplane and and he didn't make it out. Uh, sadly, so that was there was a definite pall over the weekend because of that. And secondarily, you know, our guys lost that one. So that was that was a tough one. But um, yeah, you, gave you a cup. Yeah, that was a neat, neat experience for us. I, I guess so. That that that's a really cool experience. Yeah, that's. Yeah. Uh, it's not not many. I've I've been to one Davis Cup when we we played Switzerland in Fort Worth. I, oh, I went, that so. was a final, by the way. Yes, and yes. that was probably the first time Pete Sampras played doubles. Yes, with Johnny team. Mack. With yes, Johnny, and I remember John had to crack a whip or two, and they ended up winning the match. Yes, they they played uh, Jacob Haslick and Mark Rosé. Yeah, I remember Rose. Yeah, they, Rose, they, they were the two guys. Guy. Yes, Jacob Haslick had the. The just classic, conventional, amazing game. Big serve. Uh, you know, he, he had that Ivan Drago look and a one. Yes, that was a yes. fierce, good tennis player. Yeah, you remind me who 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 did Rocky fight in the the Russian guy? You know, the that was know. Ivan Drago. That was uh, yeah, Dolph that's it, that's Lundgren. it. Dolph Lundgren. And there we go. Dolph, and Dolph <laughs> had the same, or Jakob Vlasic had that haircut. Same haircut. Spiky blonde, yeah. Yes, yeah. And uh, if I had the same personality, too. Yes. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I was over at Fort Worth. I saw that one match. I did see the doubles. It was it was amazing. That was a good – it was a really good match, and, and I just happened to be there on that Saturday. Oh, after. I wish I'd seen that. That was oh, what, about 92? 92, 92, yes. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I go, I wouldn't miss that. So I've been to – actually, too, I went down to Austin when we got our – had uh, had Spain. I remember that one. Spain that Rafa, that weekend. Yeah, Rafa wasn't even on the team, and uh, yeah. it was uh, not a very good showing. So the, but I did see the Americans win the Davis Cup, and then I saw the Americans not even uh, do do well in the uh, uh, the drum. I guess that we got drummed in the drum down in oh, Austin. Oh, Frank Drummond, the Drummond Center, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, my my tiny connection to that one, Craig. I was there too, and how were you? I got to do uh, a little bit of hospitality for the Babalat guys and the machine, the stringing machine that sits in my garage now that I use. Um, 
it has a David Ferrer sticker from that weekend because that was the machine. Uh, I, I ended up purchasing it after a, a pretty hard week of use in Austin that weekend for the Spanish team. So I get the string on that machine still. And that was a good, what, seven years ago? I think it was 2012. Yeah. Maybe it could, have been, it, it was, it could have been 11. It, it was yeah. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Right around 2010, 2011, somewhere in there. That yeah, I, I just remember going down there. That was a fun, uh, fun weekend. I mean, it was yeah. nice. I t- got some members to go down there, and we had we had a good time. But uh, we, we didn't play very good tennis. It was not. Uh, no, yeah. yeah, that was yeah. that was when Spain might have won the Davis Cup that year too. I believe they had a really good team. That yeah. was when Feliciano Lopez was playing good. Lopez, uh, Mark Granolliers was was a preeminent yes. doubles player. He Verdasco. did really well. And, and Verdasco and I believe David Ferrer was uh, top five yes. at the time. Yes, yeah. yeah so they had, yeah. and they didn't need Rafa. They they threw the I wouldn't say they threw the JV in, but they yeah. they, they, they they didn't need the varsity. You know, to, well, to beat us with. Yeah, their number two through five are pretty great too. Yeah, right. Because I think we won the didn't the Bryan brothers win? I think we had we at least got a point out of the deal. But I think our Dubs. Yeah, that, you know, and that was Jim Courier's first captain. Duty, I believe. Remember, I, I, think- I, I remember how warm it was in that in the drum, and there's Jim not doing the normal uh, sweatpants and a polo. He wore a full suit, yeah, and he was suit. one of the few captains to do it. Arthur Ashe, Tony Trabert, Donald Dell, those guys didn't do it, and here yeah. he is like an NBA coach, <laughs> uh, right. NBA manager, kind of yeah. Looked like Tom Landry. Suit. He just needed the he just needed the fedora on. He, he could have been Tom Landry. <laughs> <laughs> he would have been sweating with that fedora. It was warm in there. I do remember. It was like July. It was about this time of year, late July. Yeah, yeah it was. It was a little warm. Now, yeah. yeah, it was. It was a little warm for for a full suit. Let's put it that way. But, right, uh, but he did it. Yeah. Well, let's get off to our fifth set. Fifth, fifth set. set. Before, this is always my favorite because I get to say, get off my lawn. <laughs> You're good at it, too. Yeah, love the fifth set. Like Boris Becker always said, the fifth set is not about tennis. It's about the heart. It is. And so we, we've got something from the heart right here. Is So the, the question, is tennis bigger than ever and smaller than ever at the same time? Isn't it just such a loaded question? And I, I sometimes want... When I read stuff, it's sort of like when you're, okay, red wine's good for you. Oh, alcohol's bad for you. Eggs are terrible for you. Oh, eggs are the perfect food. That's how I feel sometimes when I read um, numbers pertaining to participation and global success of tennis. Because like you said, weirdly, tennis is bigger than ever. If you look at uh, worldwide numbers, uh, ratings in other countries, um, the profile that Hollywood and Madison Avenue have given the celebrity set of tennis players. And by that, you know, it doesn't, it's not a huge list, but it's remarkable super athletes like Roger Federer and Serena Williams. Um, so yeah, tennis is bigger than ever, but then you look yeah. at real numbers and Craig, you and I were reading an article pretty recently. What did yes. it say about how many millions of folks are playing in this, in this country? Yeah, we were talking about the actually, uh, Last episode, and we had some numbers from the Tennis Industry Association, yeah. and uh, we we, we kind of went, hmm, that just kind of, you know, it, it was not uh, what what we uh, thought it should be. That yeah. uh, the numbers were probably being fudged a little bit. That uh, that not that uh, we're saying the people, the good people at the Tennis mm. Industry uh, Association, who've done s- some nice work. But they, I think they need O'Shaughnessy to start doing some stat work for them. You know, some Craig real, because O'Shaughn- yeah, like Craig says, we've got more data than ever before in this sport. 
We've got more sensors, more data points. The, the, for a while, they were using things like something very simple like ball sales to yes. indicate the success of tennis. The eye test might show, I think that was one of your points, is sometimes you travel by a public court and you're like, okay, those used to be full and now they're not. Or now there's pickleball folks on those courts. Or uh, uh, no now longer a wait list. Skateboarders or, yeah, there's, there yeah, could be, yeah, there's a little bit of that too. Uh, so, you know, when we say tennis is, it does look bigger than ever. It also looks smaller than ever because if the numbers are flat in terms of participation in America, but our population is up 45 million since the beginnings of these studies in the 80s, um, that actually shows a decline rather than a flatness. Yes, you're, you're then, correct. In- yeah, I mean, it's sad to say that. And, and, you know, we're coaches. We love this game. We want to see it grow. Uh, but who, who, which segments are growing? Yeah, I, I was talking to one of my friends the, with USTA uh-huh. and the other day, and we, we were just kind of talking, kind of along this line. And and their point was, we have a lot of, we have so many different leagues and things and opportunities for people mm-hmm. to play. But he said basically, it's the same people doing the same thing. It's it's not any new people. It's not necessarily new people coming to into the game but it's the same people even though the numbers might look up uh mm-hmm. there's there, there's now there's a league for blonde-headed blue-eyed people who play <laughs> left-handed that that, that, that that like to get up at five in the morning we got your league we got your league for you or if, if you you know if you if you got dark hair and, and you like to wear glasses and a bandana and, and right. you only you only hit a continental forehand we right. got a league this, for you yeah this age group this demo so they make it specific and those people end up. Uh, it sounds like you're saying that those people end up playing on multiple teams, and they yes. end up making it look like there are more yeah, distinct players when there are really just more entry fees coming in. That, that's correct, and I think that's yeah. kind of the the the, the uh, what we were talking about. And I, that's yeah. kind of like I I don't think there's any more people playing. I think yeah, it's it's still going pretty well. And I mean, yeah. there's we just had uh, sectionals, Texas sectionals here in right. the Dallas area this yeah. weekend. We we had three zero. Uh, four zero. Uh, no, excuse me. Uh, two five three five and four five sectionals. And next weekend it's three zero four zero and five zero. And there's mm-hmm. still a lot of people playing. And you know, high school tennis is big in Texas. Uh, we all know that. But it, I just yeah. don't think it's. I, I don't think that the new players to the game, the, the what we're looking for, is is really uh, any significance. And it hasn't been for a long time. I think that uh, tournament play is obviously down. I think league play is up to some degree. Uh, USTA killed themselves. They shot themselves in the foot, thinking they could do both mm-hmm. tournaments and leagues. And they created a nice avenue for people just to kind of hang around, hang around the old hacienda, but not have to travel. Mm-hmm. You know, down to the the Coke tournament, which was the the largest Big tournament yeah, in the world Houston. at one time. Yeah, two thousand people playing that thing. I remember back in the eighties, in the nineties, it was huge. And and they've broken it up. And the junior, they don't have the junior segment anymore. Right. They just didn't have enough courts, but still, they it was a huge tournament. And uh, there were big tournaments around. Uh, Texas, uh, uh, but they're just not the same as they they used to be. It seems like the cachet is not uh, about getting ranked number one in your section or getting you know top ten in the nation. It, I don't mm. hear people really going, yeah, I'm I'm working for that ranking anymore. Where yeah. you know, 
it's more about maybe when we hosted today at Bent Tree this morning. I got up at about uh, I got here at six forty-five this morning, and we had the four or five uh, finals between Austin and Dallas. And the, and the right. Austin guys they celebrated. They at nine o'clock this morning they had uh, they bought uh, eighteen beers from me, Coors Light, and they, <laughs> they, they had some breakfast beers, and they were they were really excited because they were getting to go to surprise. They really they had Arizona, they, they, right? They've earned yeah. it. Yeah. They were they were being surprised by the price too of those eighteen beers, yeah. but <laughs> we're, we're at a country club and I go, hey, sorry about this. This ain't Seven Eleven or yeah. Uh, he goes, he goes, no, that's fine. He goes, I understand, but uh, yeah. Well, uh, that's neat. They celebrated. That was good. And they, it rained this morning over there in Dallas. Yes. So that's why they came inside. Doors. Yeah. That's they came, right. They like, came inside. Yeah, yeah. And I got here at seven o'clock and I said, you know, it's open the door. Everybody's here. I said, well, let's see, it's Dallas versus Austin. We're living in Dallas. Yeah. So I guess Austin, you guys can go home because Dallas guys went because I'm, op- <laughs> I'm, I'm going to open up the doors because this is Dallas. And so sorry, guys. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but the, yeah. But the Austin guys, they played really well. They, they, oh, they, they, they deserve to win. I think they won four one or, uh, they had four matches. I think they had won four matches and they pulled the, the, uh, third, third doubles off that, uh, I think. I think Dallas was winning, but you know, it's, so it's they were excited about that. But you know, tournaments, I don't know. I don't yeah. think those guys they they were big tournament players. They, I think they're more more into leagues, and I think that they were the guys. This was you know eighteen and over uh, or nineteen and over, um, you know, sectionals. Right. It wasn't forty or fifty five, but yeah. uh, you know, so I'm, I'm I'm just really fascinated by the numbers. Still, do we have more people playing? I don't think there there are, even though that uh, uh, maybe there might be some contradiction to uh, the numbers. I, you know, and I think we were talking offline that yeah. you know, you used to be uh, once a, was it once a week, what they consider people that played now it's right, three times a right. year. The, the standards have moved a little bit because uh, I remember you made a comment about how uh, X number of people are playing and then six, I think it was 18 million or 17 point something. And then 16 million were interested in playing and while that's a fantastic number, I want to see w- w- what we're doing to get those people playing. And then uh, let's go back to your point about what was considered in the 80s for, for some of these numbers that, that measure participation in, in the states. It was, OK, are you a regular player? Are you playing once a month or once a week or whatever it was? And now regular uh, player means three times a year. So they've yes. relaxed what it means to be a regular tennis player. And is that because they want to get more people saying they can play for more sponsor advertisers? It's uh, got to be. It's got to be because, yeah. you know, let's be honest. It's a lucrative. It's an affluent crowd generally who's playing tennis. And, uh, you know, they want those advertising dollars. I hearken back to Mark's comment about, you know, when he had a real conversation with Ken Solomon of the Tennis Channel. And I, I don't think it was merely, okay, ten, uh, Ken seemed content to just do tennis story and travel and leisure segments and fitness segments and one-minute clinics in addition to actual coverage of matches. It wasn't that he was just he just kind of wanted to stop there. He was saying that the advertising dollars in tennis, which you and I both know it's pretty good. In, in other words, it was, it was rated above golf in terms of sports programming ad revenues. Um, and even with that great stat, Ken's view was the advertising we get, uh, it doesn't support a full length show where you'd, we'd have production value and do it right. Scripted show. Correct. Yeah. That's, interesting. Uh, it, it's very interesting. Yeah. Cause I, yeah. I, I, I would, and it's like doubles. Why, why, why don't they show more doubles? Well, the, the, the stats show 
to Tennis Channel. I've, I've talked to yeah. some, some people over there. They don't. They don't show that people really want to watch doubles, which I always find fascinating. I'm like, they, they really? don't have it. And then, and then the other night, uh, the Wimbledon champs, Farhan Cabal, played Stefanos Sissipas and Nick Kyrgios. And there's no way I was gonna not tune into that. Like I was definitely, I was even gonna record it. I happen to have gotten home in time to watch most of the second and all the third. And uh, what a blast to watch! So it's not like the product is bad, but. Maybe the name recognition is bad, or maybe I think so. Uh, yeah, like earlier we were saying, we're kind of in the past few minutes we've been focused on tennis is strangely smaller than ever, but it's also bigger than ever. Well, five ten minutes ago we we're talking about how huge it is, Madison Avenue in Hollywood. Well, maybe we can push some of those. Like the Bryan brothers are remarkable to watch. Any doubles, I think, women's and men's, and even mixed is an absolute blast. And I got to tell you, I I was up cheering. Uh, while on a conference call with the TV on mute, watching uh, watching that, I think it was Wednesday night. Curios and uh, and Stesipas playing doves. That was amazing. Yes, yes. I I, yeah. I just I just don't get it. You know. Now they, it go back to that point that Pospisil makes that the tournaments aren't given enough money to yeah. to the guys. They're only given to the singles guys. If they would give more money to doubles as well, would the the singles guys play doubles then? You know. I, I, I think they would personally. I think, yeah. hey, you, you got to follow the money, but uh, uh, it'd be it's going to be interesting to, to see what Pospisil's article if it gets any traction or if it just kind of yeah. gets thrown 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 away in the in the in file thirteen. To, or they tell him to to sit down and shut up. You know, hey guy. You know, oh man, I, I'm just really interested in the next month to see see. I'm, I'm going to keep keep on this. We'll, we'll keep on we, this story. We promise you, viewers, and of course, tweet us, Instagram, and email us. Uh, comment back tell us what you think about this but we're going to keep i think we'd like to keep you up on this story yes i think there's yeah. more more to this because like i said I, I always thought it was the atp kind of telling telling the, the tournaments what they or or the prize money breakdown mm-hmm. uh what's going to be the the breakdown uh it sounds like that not necessarily the case in all the tournaments maybe maybe right. the grand slams tell them what they're going to get and they better sit down and shut up and take their <laughs> take their med take their medicine and, and go home mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. yeah you know that kind of deal. But uh, anything else for get off my lawn? You want to get off your chest? That's about it, my friend. That is. Well, yeah. It's, well, I think we better sh- uh, shut down shop because we, we are, uh, uh, we, I, I'm sure we've gone a, a nice, little over. Nice late night, fellas. Thank you. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's been fun. And uh, uh, we, we, we've been trying to keep not quite. Uh, we wanted to, wanted to try to do this thing about an hour, hour and a yeah. half, and you know we just kind of get going. We, we, you know, AJ and I really enjoy each other's company, and we <laughs> we, we just have it. so much. Yeah, we, and we we have great guests, and yeah. it's 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 going to be fun. We, we've been trying to keep this thing, like I said, down to a minimum. We hope we, that you all we understand. Will. We're, we're we trying. Will. We're not trying to do as many things in each set. Maybe just one, maybe two things. But uh, you yeah, know, we, we should, and and maybe it's a longer commute for you, and maybe it's just a longer workout. But enjoy the podcast. Uh, let's take a quick moment and recognize Tex-Mex Productions for Appreciate making that. all this possible. Uh, yes. Our friends at Vantaggio for the best wristbands and forthcoming clothing line. Our friend uh, Trey Rock and Men, of, Men from Nantucket for drums, beats, and guitars for that intro and outro. Yes. And Craig, who else are we thinking today? Well, I think we need um, – how about some dry socks action? You know, Oh, I love good, those socks. Our, our, our good friend uh, Big Soxy. Yeah, Don Crucius. That's right. DC and Reggie Young of uh, Dry yes. Sox. Yes, that that is correct. The great Reggie Young and and uh, the great Don Crucius for uh, for.
for, for uh, providing some socks for uh, the, the staff and then also our good friends over at Master System. I think Excellent. Blair Descaray, if you're looking for anything for court surfacing, court products, things like that. Not uh, just tennis. He does yes. uh, basketball courts, sport courts, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yep. And, and then remarkable also, work. Shout out to our good friend John McClam over in, in the, the Carolinas. He has some interesting products as well. That, I love uh, that Court Harbor, yeah. Court Harbor, yes. Functional and you get to do some branding other than, I mean, better than just a windscreen is those little yes. dividers. Those yes, and great. fashionable. Cool. Function, functional and fashionable. And fashionable, good. So, so I think that uh, that's that's probably it for this evening with uh, all those guys. They, they we, we we like everybody that we just mentioned. Uh, John John McClam, uh, we yeah. like uh, Blair Descarate, Don and Reggie, uh, the Vantaggio brothers. Who, uh, yeah. name, name, I know you. Oh, you, yeah. you know these those guys. Are, that's J- Jason Keck and Joe Vita are the the ones that I primarily think of, and then a few others are Joe's brother Bill Vita and uh, Paul Gorman, who's the lead singer of Men from. Nantucket. So that's kind of the board of directors there, including me. Is there? And uh, it's, it's a good group. It's a great product too. Is, is there a guy named Bell uh, with them? Uh, it's Craig Bell. It's you. No, 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 Bell. Bell. Oh. Bell. And what's their last name? Vita. Velvita. Oh, Velvita. Bada bing, bada boom. Oh, come on. You know, <laughs> Velvita. Yeah, well, we need to. Hey, yeah, yeah. So when you introduced me, I want to be uh, Craig Vel Vel Vita. Got it. <laughs> Our American oh, meal. Oh my goodness! No, well, Vel Vita. Yeah, the craft cheese. You know that yeah. everybody likes. Everybody likes Vel Vita cheese, right? I Even mean, Dave, yeah. I got a laugh out of that. You know, that's. Yeah. Did you know where I was going, Dave? Did you see that? Yeah, he, he saw that. You know, you're you're just a little. You're like a. 1500 miles away so you probably I'm, just... I'm too far so i didn't get the cheesy reference there yeah. so, until you uh, that up for me <laughs> yes i want to be val and then last name vita yes vita excellent yeah so uh we're having a good time but well thanks for listening to season one episode six of at the net podcast be sure to tell a friend or friends as we like your peeps and hopefully they'll like us right aj yeah, absolutely i have a feeling they will and I uh, just wanted to say thank you uh, for, gosh, Tex-Mex Productions, Craig Bell. Thanks yep. for letting me do this on the road. I yep. had a fabulous time in Southern California. And I'm heading back uh, in a day or two. So I'll see you all soon. Well, good. Travel safely. And, and uh, we look forward to seeing you when you get back. And that's the tennis news as it seems to us. Good, good evening, or actually good morning from Dallas, Texas. And good <laughs> evening from Los Angeles, Los California, Angeles. right? Thank you. That's right. Good, good night, everybody. All right. Good night. We'll see you later, AJ. Take care. Have a good one. Bye bye.
Mm-hmm.